six. Wow. It's pretty powerful, heavy duty. Powerful H6 recording. It's pretty heavy duty. Yeah, yeah, buddy. <laughs> I have an H4 that I haven't figured out yet. What do you mean you haven't figured it out? Well, I'm just not very good at like buttons and stuff. So, uh, you know, I can I can use it to record the microphones, but if I was to try to use the four track recording or anything on it, it would be disastrous. It's exactly the same as using the one track. Yeah. You just press record and it records all the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> plug them in. And if you want to test them, you see the little rainbow stripes <laughs> going up and down. You go, oh, the audio levels are working. That's all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this episode of Idea Grave is brought to you by Ice Cold Coffee from yesterday that Jessica made in the Bodum and put in the fridge. In an Icelandic cup. In an Icelandic cup. We're also drinking today K-A-A-D brand beer. Cat. With a bunch of umlauts or something. Spring IPA. Amager. Hmm. By Gross. It's Denmark. From Denmark, I think. Which Jessica got at the LCBO and um, I guess it's hoppy or something. It's very hoppy. That's what the, the report is. It's a summer, it's a summer IPA, a spring IPA, sorry. Sean Clark is here, Hi. Toronto musician and uh, good, the bad, and the ugly fanboy. <laughs> We're going to be doing our audio commentary of one of our favorite movies. Um, if you're looking to sync up the video with our commentary, press play on your bootlegged copy of Good, <laughs> the Bad, and the Ugly now. Leo, Leo the Lion. He was famous. Didn't he eat his trainer or something? Wasn't that the urban I think, legend? I think he attacked his trainer. Yeah. It was like, yeah, that was that was the story that I heard, and I think they made a TV movie about it or something. Oh, that sounds familiar. I don't think I ever saw it though. Mm. So, how did you come about uh, seeing this movie? Do you have an anecdote? I've seen this movie. The first uh, time that you came about. No, <laughs> no, I, uh, it was just, uh, um, in kind of, I, I think it probably came from Roger Ebert's great movie list, mm. which I found pretty early on in my movie viewing life. And, uh, so I thought I'd better rent as many of those films as possible. And this was one of the early ones because I figured it'd be the, one of the ones that I could get into. That's easily. right. Mm -hmm. In grade 11, um, I had pretty much gone my whole life without seeing or hearing any cool movies or any cool record albums. Mm -hmm. um, I mostly just watched The Simpsons on TV and right. was in kind of a media bubble. And um, in grade 11, I got like a complete crash course on all of the cool music mm -hmm. and movies from a couple of friends that I made in high school. And uh, they gave me like Clockwork Orange and 2001 nice. A Space Odyssey yeah. and Shining and all of this shit at once. And I, I kind of just spent the summer denned mm -hmm. in watching all these movies and my dad saw me going through all of that stuff and he's like oh yeah that those those films are pretty cool i was pretty into them mm -hmm. he's like but you're missing the best one and i was like what's that he's like the good the bad and the ugly i'm like i've never even heard of it mm -hmm. he's like go to the library and see if they have it mm -hmm. so i went down to the library and they had it for free mm -hmm. it, out. it was like three thick vhs's right, yeah, yeah to pull and um, put it on and immediately like that fucking soundtrack yeah hits you and and uh, you I felt like I didn't really know how to interpret it at first mm -hmm. um, 
it's such a slow it's such a different kind of movie like mm-hmm. it's so slow at the beginning I think you know we can count it as it as it comes in here to the first scene but I think there's like four or five minutes where there's no dialogue mm-hmm. at the beginning yeah. it's just people staring at one yeah. another it's just the atmosphere yeah and then this great uh, title sequence which is fantastic by Lardani Lardani <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the work of Lardani It was, for me, the thing that that opened my eyes is that um, I kind of, it felt like a, a completely different way to approach making movies mm-hmm. because there's such a, a strong, I almost want to say like music video connection. Mm-hmm. Like even though this is way before music videos came right. about, it was, Sergio Leone um, was much more interested in um, soundtrack and score than mm-hmm. he was in dialogue. Yeah, and you can see that all the way through that the the dubbing is kind of poor mm-hmm. and there's not a whole lot of um, explanation or anything on the part of the characters when yeah. it comes to dialogue. Well, he wasn't Leone wasn't very interested in synchronized sound, and uh, I know when he filmed, um, he he liked to play Morricone's music, uh, so that's the way they couldn't synchronize the sound mm-hmm. with the vo- that's what uh, a lot of the voices were dubbed. Um, and he'd also like to yell directions during his scenes. Um, so I, he would have the tape recorder or a, yeah, a stereo or something playing, playing. Morricone's music and <laughs> yeah, and yelling directions. And um, but also it was actually it was is of the norm for Italian films uh, to dub in post production. So they dub mm-hmm. all the even like even you know when you're using Italian actors and stuff that was pretty uh, standard uh, back in those days. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so I think that's that's kind of the it's kind of the, um, the thing I like by about necessity. Them. Yeah, and the thing I kind of like about watching old Italian films, uh, there's it's kind of a quaintness <laughs> to it with the the way they just dubbed. I think what appealed to me about it it was that how patient and confident and um, quiet everything was. Um, it's obnoxious to, for somebody to for a teenager to come to a movie mm-hmm. like this after you've been watching a lot of television and the kind of like rapid fire editing all of that shit yeah. has and the obnoxious music and things. Yeah. And then to run into something like this where uh, it's measured, the story takes its time. Mm-hmm. Um, you have casting with these, these actors that have been cast for their, the way that they they photograph. Like right. They yeah. have like really interesting rugged faces. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's the 180 degree opposite of everything that was going on in television in like yeah. 1996. Totally, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, and I love the, and I love the the focus on mood, like this opening scene. The, like you said, you know, we're in a few minutes, and I love and I love that this whole opening is the lead to this. Explosions. And that you know that <laughs> the whole I love that the whole build is is this great introduction to uh, to Tuco. Um, uh, yeah. up on the horse. Eli Wallace. Tico's crazy because uh, he's he's a great example of uh, how comedy can just be situational. You don't need to to focus on like funny, witty dialogue or anything yeah. like that. There's something like in that sequence. Yeah, it's hilarious. He's got a big. <laughs> big thing, a big chicken leg. Yeah, he's he's uh, it tells a whole story in like one second that totally, this guy's yeah. just 
having an orgy of, of food in the yeah. place, and he's he's on the run, and uh, at any moment he has to be willing to hit the fucking road. Yeah, yeah. These introductions are great. They mm-hmm. introduce all the characters so well, and uh, yeah, this one this one's great. And this is like for Tarantino fans. I mean, this is where he totally got the opening for uh, Inglorious Bastards. Was all this this part here, you know, with uh, with angel eyes. Um, and I know he's a he's a huge fan of this film. I think he, Death Comes to Town. This is his favorite movie. Yeah, I think he yeah for the sights and sounds poll, didn't he pick it as number one or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can it, definitely see it in his films. It's a funny thing when um, if you look at those AFI lists, the top one hundreds, they change every decade, mm-hmm. and it's usually movies like Vertigo is on top now. Yeah, but Vertigo wasn't critically acclaimed when it came out. No. Same and films Kane. like this are just going to keep on rising yeah. up in acclaim. For some reason, it, it, critics seem to be very apprehensive about supporting movies that they see at first. They yeah. want to make sure that everybody else is kind of on side before they go like, "Totally, maybe that is the best movie." Yeah, totally. I was uh, I was reading um, I was reading something about uh, Roger Ebert was talking when he he when he actually uh, did his great uh, uh, great movie thing of this. He had said that. Um, he originally gave the the movie three out of four. So he, he said he thought he knew it was a four to four film, but gave it a three out of four because, uh, and, and he looking back, he thinks it's because at the time spaghetti westerns just weren't taken seriously. And you were embarrassed. Yeah. So, and I think just sort of that that preconceived notion that it was going to be a bad film because it was this Italian western. Mm-hmm. And so, but uh, it's interesting. I don't think it was very well. Uh, I don't think it was very critically acclaimed when it came out. Again, we're at um, how many minutes has there been so far with absolutely no dialogue? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It feels like about six or seven. Yeah. Um, it's all just done with the the characters' faces. Mm-hmm. You can sense that there's, you know, this angel eyes sequence, you can sense there's a completely different vibe in the way that people um, are behaving around him. Yeah. It's like he's this... The shadow of death that just came through the door yeah yeah definitely it's a really interesting um idea like if you're familiar with the dollars trilogy angel eyes um was in the second film as a bereaved uh father yeah. that was out to um find first the bit of dialogue yeah but yeah find the killers of his his daughter was it yeah something like that just um, haven't seen that one in a while yeah he was like more of a romantic character in that mm-hmm. film he's uh he's a a lot more evil in this one. I think, um, I, I don't know if, I don't think Lee Van Cleef was Leone's first choice. I'm not too sure who he's. Yeah, they first. wrote the character first and then they figured, um, it, you know, he can change. And I really dig that about, uh, that's a really good screenwriting move and casting move to acknowledge that people change over time mm-hmm. and that it's possible that after several years of bounty hunting, he became like this. Yeah. You know, he's lost well, that. I wonder actually though. I think I think this is supposed to be like a prequel though. Like I think because this takes place during the Civil War. Oh no 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 no! And this, the other ones I think are after because he dies in this. Yeah, but, oh I know, but I, I think I think it's just a matter of like one actor playing two different characters. Like, no 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 no! It's the same guy because because Blondie knows him. Mm-hmm. All three characters know each other. They their mm-hmm. uh, reputations are preceding them. And yeah. Yada yada yada. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this is for sure the the sequel to a um, few dollars more. Mm. 
I just uh, going back to the casting. It, it's so funny, like how times have changed because none of these people would be able to get a role in a modern right. I was a American financed movie. Yeah, I was trying to think of it like a little while ago, talking about who who are kind of rugged, you know, heroes are nowadays. Um, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't really. It's not really a lot. Yeah, right. If it was remade, it would be like Taylor Kitsch. DiCaprio, DiCaprio as uh, as Blondie. <laughs> yeah, probably. They couldn't uncover any more. I can tell Baker what happened to the money. It'd be, it'd be like cutting one of DiCaprio's um, legs off if you you told him that he couldn't scream through the whole movie. <laughs> He's like, I don't get to yell once. What? That ain't gonna work, guys. That's the dollar I cash. <laughs> it's his million dollar scream. We went to uh, an indie theater and we watched a uh, Gregory Peck western that had Lee Van Cleef in it, and. That, uh, Lee Van Cleef sucked in that movie. <laughs> Which one was that? That uh... the thing that we went to like oh. two weeks ago. Oh, geez, that one. Oh, you're talking about me. Yes, I did go with you. That movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, shows you how much. Uh, yeah, that was at Trash Palace. Um, what was that movie called? Yeah, it, it was kind matter. of. It I doesn't matter. Don't seek it out. It was yeah. terrible. <laughs> you know, I didn't. I didn't hate it. Um, but now. I can't remember anything about it. <laughs> so that's not a good sign. It was a perfect example. So this, I was in um, uh, college and it had been a number of years since I uh, first saw Good, the Bad and the Ugly. Mm-hmm. And I had become an evangelist mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you remember, like uh, probably more than 10 years ago, this movie was kind of underground. Like there's been a real resurgence thanks to the internet and stuff where Mm -hmm. everybody talks about good, the bad, the ugly. Now Mm -hmm. it's everywhere. Um, but for a while it was kind of probably a big hand in that fringe. Yeah. And, um, I remember I was, uh, was evangelizing it in college Mm -hmm. and my prof for animation, uh, asked me about movies that I liked, and I said, "Oh, we're really into Good, Bad, and the Ugly lately." And uh, he said, "Oh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, you know, that's one of them spaghetti westerns. Uh, what you really gotta see is a is a good John Ford film, and yeah. then you gotta know where uh, the real critical acclaim came. And mm-hmm. the spaghetti westerns were kind of an exploitation version of those right. movies." And then you watch these old 50s westerns, and they're dog shit. And I don't mean that, like, the the writing was, was bad or whatever. It Compared to movies of its time, they're well made. There's good cinematography and stuff. But you, you think of, you look at stuff like the art direction. Like, yeah. these people actually look like they yeah. live and work in the West. Oh, yeah, yeah. You watch those 50s westerns, and it's like... Uh, you know, a rootin' tootin' Wild West show mm-hmm. or, like, a fucking Roy Rogers or something. Mm-hmm. They have tiny little cowboy hats and fucking stupid chaps. And <laughs> yeah. Everybody is a stereotype. Like, there's the marm. Yeah. And there's the, you know, yeah. impetuous young buck who's yeah. going to avenge his father. And Well, they're all they're all products of their time, right? I mean, like, all most genre films were like that. You know, it's it's all stereotypes, and uh, there, there wasn't a lot of ways they could go with them. Or, I don't know, they just didn't have the... Uh, interest or something but uh no there's there's good to be found in those films like the searchers is a great film and 
there's lots of good westerns. Um, but you know what Johnny I mean? Johnny Guitar. And, like, oh, yeah, Citrus yeah. Citrus is a good movie, Yeah. but it doesn't feel real. Right. It, it feels like a Wizard of Oz version mm. of the, the Wild West. Right, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. playing dress up. Totally, yeah. I mean, John Wayne, I think, carries a lot of stuff because he's just so charismatic. Yeah. He's got that that great avuncular type of um, attitude. I don't know. It's, yeah. It's just there's something charismatic about him. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, it didn't move me. I didn't yeah. find the sad parts particularly sad. I didn't find yeah. the exciting parts particularly exciting. It was just kind of, eh, that's all right. Yeah. I find I had to come to uh, a lot of older, older films um, after a while, like. With, to see it as sort of, um, you know, how they lead into this and what came before it, and, and I find that helps when watching movies a lot. Yeah, you know, context. like watching silent films or or something. You know, there's, uh, you know, a lot of people if you make them watch a silent film if they haven't if they don't know context or anything and they they can't stand it. <laughs> um, but there's definitely been advancement in the art. I mean, oh, you yeah. can't deny that. That uh, adding music and, and uh, dialogue to films didn't make them more visceral. <clears throat> so this is an interesting character uh, scene. Uh, mm-hmm. The Good, the Man, the Ugly is really great at um, having vignettes that uh, completely sum up the the worldview of each of the the characters. Mm-hmm. In this case, uh, Angel Eyes's mo is that he always finishes the deal. Yeah, he always finishes the job when when he's paid. Yeah. It's great because if we haven't, if you hadn't already, if you don't already consider him an evil person or like a or a person to be feared, uh, after that first scene when he kills the guy and his son, uh, I think it really cements it here. It's also kind of a, a dark joke. Mm-hmm. Good, the bad, and the ugly is really great at balancing out um, the dramatic stuff with kind of. A funny, a really light touch, uh, comic relief. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah, I like but, how cold, how cold this is too. Like how he does it. Just so pulls the pillow over his face. Doesn't want to get any blood on his suit. <laughs> I can't get no blood on my duster. No, angel You didn't need to shoot him four times. <laughs> He's got to make sure. Perhaps he did. He got paid twice today. He can afford the bullets. Two of the bullets were for the man. Three of the bullets were for Angel Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then he laughs about it. There he is. The bad. He's labeled. Into the darkness. <laughs> And so this is atypical, uh, too, in terms of pacing, that you haven't met the hero yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, hero is used a little lightly. And, I mean, like, my dad argued that Tuco is kind of the main character of this movie. He's, like, the most fun, and most people like him better. He's also the most... Uh, he's the most... Um, we get to know Tuco more than anybody else in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we meet his brother, and we hear, hear about his family. We don't get that with the other guys, which is kind of interesting. It's better that way, and mm-hmm. it kind of makes it mod- uh, a more modern movie um, because there is something a little flat about 
the true villain and the true hero archetype. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I think people like more often than not identify with anti-heroes nowadays. Mm-hmm. They want to see the characters got a little bit of dirt under their nails and it makes them more interesting and more fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tuco is funny in that like he's such a charismatic actor that even when he does shitty betrayals in this movie you're kind of like oh shucks <laughs> oh tuco that is what you do and i feel like that that's uh the blondie is kind of the audience and uh he feels that way about tuco too because i don't think that um blondie ever feels uh like he's out of his depth he knows that tuco's dangerous but mm-hmm. he always knows that he's gonna blondie's gonna be able to outsmart him mm-hmm <laughs> Yeah, he's a great character because, you know, he's kind of primarily comic relief. But I think the thing that makes him more interesting is that he's also very dangerous. And, you know, you see that in that first scene. You see that later in the bathtub scene. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he's 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 not to be not to be reckoned with. Like, you can laugh, him, laugh at him all you like, but uh, <laughs> but he's, he's a dangerous character. Formidable. Yeah. Yeah, we, we haven't seen evidence of his talent yet, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, we don't see Clint's face yet, mm-hmm. but you know him by the way he, why he's firing his gun, the way he's standing. Mm-hmm. People who have seen the previous two movies <laughs> anticipate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good cut. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> One thing that... I saw these movies backwards. Oh, yeah. I saw yeah, Good, I Bad, think the I Ugly did. first. I think I did too, yeah. I saw uh, Fistful of Dollars. And for a few, do- a few dollars more. And then I saw A Few Dollars More years and years after the fact. And it was funny uh, to watch the second one. And going in, I was sure that the second one was going to suck. I'm like, right. one of these movies has to suck. Right. In a trilogy, there always has to be a sour note. And um, it turned out that the Dollars trilogy is kind of one of the, the few exceptions where They're all great. three movies is are wicked, and yeah. the third movie is the best of the three. Totally. They're great. Yeah. yeah, they're all solid films. Quite hilariously, Clint, it's Clint Eastwood's best movie, and he didn't want to make it. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think he was a little... Sick of working with Leone by here by now. So you're an honest farmer. You recognize this man? <laughs> yeah, it's you. <laughs> Not a very good likeness. Who says so? You can't even read. Roll it up. Roll it up. I'll give you a good idea where you can put it. Down with all you sheriffs and deputies and all who give birth to you. Hey, everybody, look, look. He's giving him the filthy money. <laughs> Judas. You sold my hike. Judas. You wonder how much of this Tuco is rehearsed like after you realize that uh, they've got a scheme going where they're just bringing him into bounties and every t- in yeah. city. He's, he's good at his job. It's pretty ballin'. Shoots the, shoots the news. Apparently, uh, Clinton and uh, 
Angel Eyes were jealous at the relationship that Sergio Leone and, uh, is it Eli Walsh? Eli Walsh, yeah. They were best buddies. We'd go out drinking and having a good time on the set. Yeah. The other two characters felt like they were being overshadowed. It totally works for the story, though. Yeah. great score it's uh it's interesting how it's paced like you had that thunderous opening mm. and now you have very sparse musical cues yeah that are kind of just informing everybody where the um where the visual interest is where the where the important plot points are happening mm. and if you look at the soundtrack on just a waveform or whatever. By the time we reach the climax, the music is just going crazy. Mm. So it's really well paced. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, you're mostly just hearing uh, the character, like the character cues. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see each of the the different ways these uh, outlaw scenarios are staged. So in that case, you had Tuco on the horse, you had Blondie shooting from the barn, and then taking off on the stagecoach. Mm-hmm. It it's kind of it reminds me of um, Coppola's Godfather in that um, Coppola was very conscious to make each of the assassination scenes in those movies have a really unique staging, mm-hmm. whether it's like. Um, Michael shooting uh, the police commissioner in the in the in the uh, restaurant, yeah. or um, in two where um, Vito's stalking the uh, the local mafia mm-hmm. boss on the rooftops. Yeah. Like there's a lot of iconic kind of staging choices. Yeah, it's great pacing. And you think that it would be filmmaking 101 to 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 set up um, your scenarios that way. But it's actually kind of rare. Like, there's so many movies where they're just focused on, like, explanations coming between the two characters. Mm-hmm. And it's a complete afterthought to, to imagine, well, maybe they're having this conversation on a train. Or maybe they're having this conversation on top of a bridge. Like, right. There's not a whole lot of thought to put into, like... Um, situational variety. Right. Which I think Good, the Bad, and the Ugly does a really good job at. Yeah, setting up the scene. Raping a virgin of the, of the white, white race. race. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a lesser charge. Uh, yeah. Angel eyes. Yeah, it's great. It's great characters. Where'd you find out, Shorty? Yes, me seems like a book. An armed unit escorting a cash box of gold coins meets a Yankee ambush and only three it's the other good thing about um they're overdubbing later. It didn't matter what to what language the uh, actors spoke even in scenes together one would be speaking Italian and another would be speaking English and <laughs> didn't matter they just overdubbed it later and now it's also good for foreign markets too just overdub it later mm-hmm. you can also give really um, clear direction to the, the actors you can just say like Angel Eyes this guy's going to be telling you very important information yeah. about the gold yeah. and you're skeptical and you want to prime for more information yeah it's kind of like and then he can just focus on that facial expression totally. it's kind of like silent film directing you know when it's just like explaining the scene as it's happening adios damn soldier 
Angelai smokes a pipe. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. <laughs> he seems a bit more urban than the other two <laughs> outlaws. He seems to have been from a wealthier, upper-class background. Yeah. He's got a, the pocket watch. He's got, uh, in, uh, in the second film, he has an elaborate set of different guns that he uses for different yeah. scenarios, which yeah. is a rad character trait that it's interesting he's given that up. It's almost like he was over-prepared mm. when he first became a bounty hunter, and now he knows that he's a, such a badass with his revolver that he doesn't need anything mm. else. See, he's, he knows him when he spotted him on the, yeah. on the side there. And he knows what's going down immediately. He's like, oh, okay, you guys got a scheme going. Yeah. <laughs> 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 just shoot some hats off. <laughs> Do you think that that was a mistake? I don't know. It's a good question. I think that, that it was deliberate so that he can have him without a horse. Yeah, in the that's desert. true. That's a good point because... That's a very, yeah, that's a very good point. He didn't look he didn't look too concerned about it, that's for sure. <laughs> Blood doesn't miss, Sean Clark. <laughs> Did you ever get into Samurai Jack? No, I, I never saw much of Samurai Jack, no. You uh you should check it out. It has yeah. uh and Jendi Turtovsky, mm -hmm. the guy who does that show, uh, is really into Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and mm -hmm. he kind of stages the cartoon to have the same pacing. Okay. Um, my opinion, he should have been pegged as the Star Wars director right. instead of J.J. Abrams. Yeah, maybe, right, he'll, uh, maybe he'll direct one of the, uh, the spin-offs. Spin -off yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. I like that Gareth Edwards is going to be directing uh, one of the spin-offs. Er, I think that'd be interesting. Let's see, you see the Godzilla guy? Yeah, and Monsters, Monsters, which was really great. I didn't see Godzilla, but Monsters was great. Did you mm. ever see that one? No. Really I saw good. the ending I mean, scene was on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think they had the whole movie. I just kind of fast-forwarded to the end, and I saw the <laughs> monsters making out with one another, and yeah. then the guy make out with the girl, and I was like... Huh. Yeah, it's it's a totally it's a totally unique take on the genre. It's more of a it's more of a love story than it is. It just sort of like like tremors. Yeah, it's like tremors. Yeah, it's like you know, it takes sort of uh, this situation as as reality and, and you know people how people would react mm. maybe a little more naturally in it. So going back to the Samurai Jack mm. comparison, oh, yeah. um, the thing that's interesting what he takes from it is that Samurai Jack is is set in. Uh, in the distant future, it's about a Japanese samurai who's flung forward into the future by a demon. Right. right. And um, that gives the animators the opportunity to have a samurai uh, chop off limbs and things because uh -huh. everybody's robots. Right. Um, but what uh, Jendi takes from Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is composition, mm -hmm. um, that kind of slow-paced introduction of characters where right. people ride in as a small silhouette on right. the horizon and um, patiently kind of show off their, their tropes. Mm -hmm. And he takes a, a bit of Leone's um, characterization in that, like, a lot of Leone characters, like if you think of Angel Eyes being introduced in the second film, mm -hmm. he had that, like, scoped revolver. He had um, he had his locket with his... his uh, the picture of his daughter in it. Yeah. 
uh, accessories, right? Right, right. Um, iconic things like Clint having the metal brass plate on underneath his his duster mm-hmm. um, poncho. Right, right. Um, Tuco with the his revolver uh, tied around a rope around his neck. Right. Um, all these little kind little touches make you believe that it's a real person mm-hmm. in the thing that has a background. Right. And has yeah. taste. Yeah. And again, it sounds like such such basic stuff that everybody should do in every movie. Yeah. But so often, like it, it feels you can't help but watch something like Cowboys and Aliens and go right. like, "Oh, that's Daniel Craig in a cowboy hat." Right. You yeah, don't yeah. believe that you're you're seeing, seeing a somebody. Character? Yeah. Again. Yeah. The. Yeah, it's kind of. Um, in one sense, go it's on, it's good because you know it, it saves you the time of having to really introduce the character, but but the the other problem that you can fall into is, um, it just becomes a, a, you know. You can do it, and, and you don't have to introduce the character. You know, it's like, oh no, we'll give him a glass eye or something. You know, I mean, like it it, it becomes it's a crutch. You know, direction. like yeah, yeah and that's the other concern. I mean, in this kind of genre, that's I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Like I think, you know, cool is kind of, is all right. You know, <laughs> but I don't think I don't think it's ever a downside. I no. don't think that. I think I guess if you only had art direction, it'd be kind of boring. But yeah. I think it's it's uh, as necessary as anything. I don't know where he is. I mean, I, I just uh, there's something about deciding that Angel Eyes is going to have a styled mustache mm-hmm. versus um, Blondie, who's just kind of unshaven, mm-hmm. and uh, Tuco, who's just wild, yeah, just kind of you know, all over the place, yeah. dirty. That was the second uh, scenario where uh, Angel Eyes came out of the shadows. This sequence, right off the bat, um, kind of makes Tuco into a sympathetic character. Yeah. It's important that Tuco has to suffer first, or the, the scenario coming up where he tortures uh, Blondie in the desert um, would feel too sadistic. Mm-hmm. Right into the horse trough. <coughs> Again, little character things, right? Like, would Angel Eyes dunk his head into the horse water? Yeah, exactly. He also wouldn't find himself in this situation, though. Mm-hmm. Interesting. He's got two huge silver rings that I never really picked out. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw that before. Curious if it uh, belongs to a relative or something like that. It seems like Tuco would be the type of guy that has a, a ring from his father or something. Mm-hmm. Again, inventive staging. I've never, as many westerns that have been made, I've never seen anybody go in and purchase a revolver in yeah. those movies, even though it's like one of the most important things, tools that these guys would be using. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything wonky. I love when they have work in movies. Right. Where um, something like a gunsmith and how you'd have parts to a gun. Right, and yeah. And I also love have... all these old weird guns, <laughs> like the weird crank guns. <laughs> 
you'd have a shooting range behind mm-hmm. behind the gun store. You have this kind of meek businessman that deals with outlaws all the time. He's like, I gotta. I want, he might have money. Yeah. He may have stolen money from somebody. Yeah. I gotta be patient with him. <laughs> Here's all the good shit, guys. <laughs> Here, Remington, Colt, a Root, Smith Wesson. Yeah, it's definitely something that uh, Tarantino Joshua. took for in Another a lot of Remington. his films and these ideas of like you know people just being people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know whether or not they're killers or what have you. You know, showing up to an operation late uh, early so you have to kill time and chat you know before having to you know scare people the prep yeah this is also an interesting character scene in that uh, they're demonstrating that tuco even though he's rough around the edges he has technical knowledge well it also shows back to him being a dangerous character like he knows he knows his guns i like when he puts it together and then he he's like hear that uh, yeah, yeah good, no, right? better. He like puts, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the way it's supposed yeah, to be, buddy. That's great. It just like puts together his his own gun. <laughs> it's a if you if you're familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, Tuco kind of has uh, aspects of the rogue character. Like, uh, he's able to be quite deadly even though he's unorthodox mm. because the rules don't apply to him. Yeah. He cheats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does what he has to do or what he thinks he has to do to get by. Whereas uh, on the other two ends of the spectrum, um, the hero characters and the villain characters, they kind of have a code that's driven by their egos mm-hmm. where they want to play by the rules um, so that they... You know, they can feel like they're actually dangerous. And Tuco doesn't care what people think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> You're next. Dangerous. <laughs> It's interesting pacing, too, because um, Tuco's been betrayed by Blondie, and now he's recovered, and now the audience is getting the first evidence that uh, he might be somebody who you shouldn't have betrayed, mm. and that like his boasting earlier might have some um, background, mm-hmm. might, might have some uh, weight behind it. Mm. He puts on the stupid sombrero, <laughs> comic touch. <laughs> How much is in the register, buddy? I was prepping um, for this by watching some of the um, YouTube reviews. Oh, okay. And it's uh, hilarious to see uh, the style of of reviews that are influenced by television, Mm. where people are really conscious not to spoil anything. Oh, yeah. As if, like, anybody would listen to a review of something <laughs> yeah. that they hadn't seen yet. And then as Before if they're, seeing it, yeah. they're seeking out, like, the thing to watch. They're like, well, I'll watch the review of it. <laughs> and if they liked it, 
yeah, then I'll, I mean, I'll give the movie a chance. Um, the one guy was, it was so illogical because he basically went in detail about every beat of the plot uh-huh. up until the final Mexican standoff. Right. He didn't say like, who wins that? Right, right. He's like, well, I don't want to spoil the ending for you. <laughs> it's like, well, I made it this far. Yeah. <laughs> As if anybody would watch this whole movie and then go like, oh, what? Clint Eastwood wins. <laughs> no, the movie's ruined. Shocking. This is an extended scene. They um, they re-released the movie in the 90s and they added back a lot of the footage that um, had been cut out mm-hmm. and then remastered. I'm not really sure the the reason why the scenes were cut out. I, I I'm actually not a big fan of movies that have extended cuts. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I find that even in the cases where the director was upset about stuff being cut out, the producers have made choices to make the movie a little bit more watchable. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think Apocalypse Now, yeah, for, um, Kingdom of Heaven, for yeah. instance, I, yeah. Blade yeah. Runner, Blade Runner, the extended cut is not as good as the more streamlined. The direct, the director's cut. Obviously, like the the, the theatrical version sucks. Yeah, but yeah. The the one that was on the bootleg, the director's cut is is the best version of. Potatoes. I think. You gotta be poor to eat potatoes. Yeah, I think uh, Leone um, cut a lot of stuff uh, for pacing. Mm-hmm. Because it's already a really long movie. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to see Tuco plucking a fucking chicken. Right, exactly. It's like, where's Blondie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and also we also had a pretty good extended scene with him. I think we get the gist of him. Yeah, he's like, you know what? I used to have a friend, Pedro, Chico, and Ramon. His two brothers were my friends too. Oh, they're going to meet up with him at the cave and he's going to explain that he's mad at Blondie and that yeah. he's going to have to go after him. That's too bad, friends. We got it, buddy. Tough we got it. <laughs> I had a good deal for you. There's a big son of a bitch who's got four thousand dollars. There's also this is also um four thousand dollars. Tuco's uh and I know where to find it. Tuco talking to himself is also covered later on if when they he's would help me catch him. Uh, after he visits his brother and he's ways. lamenting that uh each. He's trying to convince Blondie that somebody loves him, mm. and he's saying that like his his brother uh, when turns back on him and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff, and he's lying about of it. Of course, yeah. Um, I think it's better that he talks to himself just in that scenario. Yeah, I don't think that they need to. Do they repeat that. Yeah, they don't need to do it twice. You're alive, Tuko. But is it true? That descending scene is a is a thing they rip off in Samurai Jack quite a lot. Oh yeah, it's kind of comical. Like you're going to see. <laughs> Here comes the henchman. And people talk bullshit. <laughs> 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 alive, and I always will be. And I'm coming to give you three thousand dollars. And a chicken. <laughs> this goose is cooked. Pluck that shit. I think this is back into the this is back into the regular edit now. Yeah. While men coming in. There's a crazy amount of extras, mm-hmm. and uh, morning, every thing. one of them, the, our direction and the costume choices have been really carefully made. 
Everybody looks like they actually are, period, and that they're from the places that they are. It doesn't look like a, a stage play. They also look dirty and like <laughs> yeah they look the part they look like they've been traveling through the desert to get from one town to the next there's an interesting star wars connection there like both of them seem like a used universe yeah totally and that's kind of what i was getting at when i was talking about the 50s westerns is everything looks yeah. like it's a hollywood set yeah yeah you asshole the yeah, that, that previous scene totally should have been cut. Yeah, it's not necessary at all. We, d we don't need to know how he got these uh, his henchmen. Because you know, they're disposable, right? <laughs> He's got money. He yeah. just throws some money at the guys. He stole yeah. money from the gun shop and he hired some guns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he doesn't know who rides every horse. Upstairs. Upstairs in room four. Turns out he does. Good instinct, Tuco. <laughs> street smarts going for him. <laughs> you hear that? You rotten criminals, how dare you? This is kind of a, a classic Western trope coming up here. The villain um, attacking the person as they hang out in their hotel room. This is also really well paced with him putting the gun back together and... Zen. Hearing a... Yeah, hearing a... Yeah, exactly. With the pause and the troops that... Oh, here's some noise. Your spurs. <laughs> yeah. They have a scenario similar to this in Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian, mm -hmm. where they're introducing the kid character, and he helps out um, with an assassination attempt. He goes up into a hotel with uh, this character, Toad Vine, mm -hmm. and they, uh, they set the hotel room uh, door on fire. And when the guy comes out, they beat the hell out of him, pull his eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it sounds it. Jeez. That's a great book, uh, by the way. I should read it. Oh. I recommend the audiobook. Oh, yeah? Mm -hmm. Is it who's it read by? Um, he's, a, he's an audible reader. I've heard him on other stuff. I don't recall his name, but he's fantastic. Yeah, I was hoping it'd be like Jeff Goldblum or oh, something. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't like the celebrity yeah, readers. I, know. I like the, They're hilarious. the audible guys. Ethan Hawke performs Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> Patrick Stewart reading the words of Aldous Huxley. That wouldn't be too bad, actually. No, that might be okay. Because he's, he's got that funny... Uh, I liked when he was doing that uh, that extra show with Ricky Gervais. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was kind of being sexual. Yeah. He's like, and of course I've already seen everything. <laughs> it's a brave new world make their clothes disappear <laughs> make it so Darwin. yeah he knows now you all is fucked wait for it wait for it now <laughs> I 
wonder if the town was constructed from scratch or if they had bits and pieces from an actual Wild West town that they Im imported into um, Spain. Oh, yeah. I wonder how much is studio. <laughs> he didn't even feel the need to get up and no. get out of the line of fire. Nah. Danny shirt. Jump. Yeah. Your spurs. Your spurs. And then shoots him in what looks like the kneecap. <laughs> I've always found it interesting that these 1970s and 80s action heroes ended up being real-life Republican gun nuts. <laughs> it, was, it was like they began to believe... In the, the character, I wonder if they began to believe in the character in real life by playing them, or I if think they may have been those characters. They were first, cast know? because they yeah. were kind of badasses to begin with. Yeah. But yeah, I found it really enlightening when Clint Eastwood went to the Republican convention yeah, and, and talked to a chair. Yeah. There, you don't think that there's a lot of conservatives in Hollywood, but let me tell you, they're in the closet. I'm gonna out them. Did, did you hear what the chair said? <laughs> what? What's that? What's that? <laughs> oh no, Clint's Last a Last night at the Republican man. convention, Clint Eastwood went crazy. <laughs> God love him. <laughs> I mean, he is oh, like... Oh, dad. He is like, what? Like oh, granddad. 160 years old or something now. But yeah, he's like part of a long list, like mm. uh, Schwar uh, Schwarzenegger, mm. uh, Stallone, yeah. uh, right wing loony, uh, fucking Chuck Norris is a right wing loony. Oh yeah, uh, uh, it, it's like they can't yeah, separate. The, no. it's all just fantasy, man. And real Ronald like... Reagan, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> oh yeah, he's, yeah. He's totally <laughs> yeah, he was a cowboy yeah. movies. He was in cowboy movies, yeah. And uh, or maybe here's an idea. Uh -huh. <laughs> maybe because they're all actors, they just continue playing the same part. They're like, this this has always made me successful playing this type of guy. I'm right. gonna start playing this guy in real life and see yeah. if I can get other jobs. Yeah, there's not um, a lot of diversity in a lot of their roles. I really just think they play themselves. Like I haven't seen many movies of where Clint Eastwood plays anything other than Clint Eastwood. Mm. Same with Stallone or Schwarzenegger. Right. Um, I don't see a lot of Reagan films. I don't know what they're like. But uh, Chuck Norris. I mean, I mean it makes sense. It's genre specific actors. That they're going to be kind of playing the same thing. That's why they're. That's why people keep coming back. Hmm. But. Uh, Ready for it. Yep. See, he wouldn't have, wouldn't have outsmarted Tuchel here. And this is all chance. Conceivably, when that floor fell, he should have just hung by the throat. <laughs> yeah, you gotta wonder what was going through Dylan's head at that point. Yeah. I think that. Uh, you might have realistic expectations that, you know, every day might be the day that he bites it, and he's yeah. kind of, that's his life philosophy. I kind he's of expect that on. from the character. It's like every day is, it's like whatever. <laughs> or, I could die. you know, maybe he just knows Tuco well enough to realize that, you know, something's going to happen. Bad luck up. follows him. Yeah, it's like that guy's a fucking disaster. <laughs> 
Uh, I think this is another extended scene here. Angel Eyes visiting the bombed out camp. Yeah, I think so. It's funny because the this is the the version I'm so familiar with. Like, oh okay, this is this is a version I've seen uh, all the time. Well, so you would have liked the movie even better than you do. Yeah, if I know. Haven't seen it without this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Again, this is off character, right? Like this, the the mat, they're matching up sympathy with with Angel Eyes in in this uh, yeah. sequence, and it you don't want. Uh, to associate him with that yet uh, they played this music um later on when the wand is putting the coat on the, the dead yeah, soldier yeah. It's, it's a much more of... powerful scene and they pan across the all the dead confederate oh well both sides soldiers it's a great th- it's a great theme i love the um little like reverie trumpets kind mm. of in the background you know as the themes playing in the background you know kind of in the distance it's it's really neat yeah it's really neat jesse i, I dig uh, <laughs> is what i'm saying i dig um i think that the civil wars is a great background plate but the reason i think it works is that it's such a stupid conflict mm. that it really makes the the main character's goal of trying to get a, a chest full of gold seem like a much more logical way to to organize your life. Yeah. Like while the whole countryside is going mad with Americans, you know, shooting one another for no reason. Um having a a bunch of libertarian Outlaws just focused on <laughs> trying to get a hundred grand in gold. Yeah, uh, it seems to be a much more logical way to do it. Yeah. Welcome, my friend. If you're looking for a summer vacation spot, uh-huh. you found it. Luxurious <laughs> and filled with conveniences. Hey, buddy. Old. Good old. What's his name? The Joker. Don't stop there. International cuisine. Healthful and nutritious food. Mm, corn cobs. Dixie style. Our government has spared no expense. Angel Eyes is wondering, why the fuck As am I here again? We are treated very well. Have you ever heard of anyone by the name of Bill Carson? And you? Have you ever heard of someone named Canby? No? Well, you see, he's a Yankee colonel. Oh, those corn on the cobs he's cooking? Yeah, just the cobs. Can't make some soup out of the cobs. Yeah, it's cob soup. Ask me if I know something. Again, like, really interesting staging. He didn't need to be boiling a soup out of cobs, but it makes it feel like it's a real camp and they're Mm -hmm. under desperate circumstances with uh, just the choice of the art direction. I mean, I I fucking, I watched X-Men yesterday. The new one? That movie sucks. The new one? Yeah. Oh, I heard so many good things. It's because the, 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 it. the, the it's either that the critics on the internet have been purposely paid <laughs> to put out good reviews, which I think is the case. Mm-hmm. It's a combination of that and that people's standards have just like fallen so low. Yeah. They, they they expect nothing from right. comic book movies now, so they're happy with. Just what did you think whatever. of uh, Origins? You must not have heard anything about. I didn't. I didn't see Origins. Oh, okay. I just, just wondering because I, I really oh, liked I really liked Origins. I thought it was pretty good. Um, so I'm curious what I, I think saw. Of this the one. Wolverine. Oh no, no, that one sucked. And apparently. I, s- or maybe it was Origins. I don't know the one with the helicopter thing. 
crashes and the one with Deadpool oh, fighting no, no, on no. top that, of yeah, the power was, plant. Yeah, that was Wolverine, I think, and I heard that one sucked, yeah. Um, so I didn't even bother seeing that. But yeah, it, like, it's it's technically not a bad movie, but right, it's just, if you compare it to this, well, no, there's right. lots of instances where if the character was... If this was the X-Men movie, Angel Eyes would have visited the uh, the camp, and the soldier would have said, like, sure is good to see you. We're really low on supplies. <laughs> He's yeah, like, exactly. do you happen to have any whiskey? Maybe I can give you the information if you gave me a bottle yeah, yeah. of whiskey. Instead just, of just, like, showing him yeah, trying yeah. to scrape together food and then having Angel Eyes yeah. hand him a bottle. Exactly. They just have, yeah, they're just, just shitty writing. Mm-hmm. This is another amazing instance of like uh, staging ha- helping with the storytelling mm-hmm. Tuco tracking uh, Blondie by trying to find the remnants of his of his fire mm-hmm. and uh, puffing on his cigar each time yeah. <laughs> there it is <laughs> there it is his trademark his undoing and then the great musical cue as the, the cigar lights back up again Well, not yet. <laughs> One short. <laughs> Tattered boots. There's a something about the the costuming makes me think that Eli was wearing the that uh, that garb out in the. <laughs> desert for two or three weeks before shooting started <laughs> apparently he uh, he made a lot of his own costume choices mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah obvious it's a smart way yeah. to do it like having the actor yeah come up with a character and then having them style it and stuff come up with their taste <laughs> meanwhile blondie <laughs> got a bead on him on his, oh yeah, repeating himself. Yeah, kind of, kind of a down note for him. Makes the audience <laughs> a little bit disappointed. His creativity's a little lacking. He's doing something just for the money. Yeah, come on, Blondie, you're better than my that. scheme. Come on, Joe. Nah, this is more fun. Sorry, Shorty. No. No. <laughs> harsh. That's pretty harsh. Um, staging again. Interesting to see the same scenario played out with a different ending. Mm-hmm. Um you get to see like how that works in the West or the mm-hmm. horse takes off, the person hangs and uh, people go about their business. Yeah. Justice has been served. It's a dance party going on upstairs. <laughs> I hope the microphones can pick that up. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get some bass over, over top of the recording. Yeah. Just so Too different. people listening at home. Got a dance club above us. <laughs> I wish I could place the tunes so that they can play it themselves if they want to add their own alternative yeah, soundtrack. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You're gonna play. Morricone is not everybody's taste. No. 
like track three of Dead Mouse Five, Dead Mal or Five Mal, whatever the hell his name is. <laughs> you know the guy. With the name. Daft Punk. Staging again. Hmm. Leading into this scenario, you kind of don't know what Tuco has in mind. If he's just gonna dig him a grave and come down in it. But no, he's going to torture him by making him hike through the desert. <laughs> As he did. Yeah. It's just desserts. And um, the other thing that's kind of interesting about it is that you get the sense that, like, Tuco might not like... He might want the company. Like He's he's kind of a lonely guy, so he wants... Even if his enemy has to be the company, he wants somebody with him while he's crossing this desert to get to his uh, location. What was it you told me the last time? Mm-hmm. True. It was a pretty jerky thing to do, Blondie. Only slowly. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I guess I deserve this too. <laughs> After you, please. Lisa right. said, "Please." God damn, Clint's got a good head of hair. Oh yeah. Gorgeous man. <laughs> Him and uh, Robert Redford and um, Butch Cassidy. Uh -huh. Robert Redford is incredible fucking hair in that movie. Oh yeah, yeah. They're kind of my hair icons. Yeah, you had to have good hair back then, that's for sure. This is similar to the um, that that guitar is similar to the the. Um, the gold theme at the end of the movie mm. or is it i guess it's piano eh? yeah i think they, they do play a similar guitar theme though it's kind of a hypnotic quality to it mm -hmm. that uh it makes you think of mirages and things in the, in this uh circumstance mm -hmm. and uh i dig that it's kind of um it spirals in, spirals out. There's not like a beat to mm -hmm. to hold it down, and to it makes it more nebulous. Like, where is this desert ever gonna end? And I don't yeah, know, it really brings you into the mind of the character. Also, that that which is like, uh, I think it helps kind of signify the passage of time as well. Mm. Really does a really good job without having to show too much. I didn't see yeah, crossfades, of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. Wonder who's gonna steal that later, George. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna mention you brought up Tarantino a couple of mm -hmm. times. I think that he's going to go down in history as the first example of um a modern director as fan artist. Mm -hmm. I, like I was talking to my my friend the other day about what he considers to be the dominant art movement mm -hmm. at the moment. He was saying the, the thing that he's noticing, everything's trending towards fan art mm. in a lot of different forms. Right. So I think you could argue that because everything Tarantino makes is kind of uh, pastiche mm -hmm. and that he's really, he's collaging together he probably, with the right software tools, could collage together a movie based on 
out of the parts of the other movies. And I think right. he does. I think that's how he builds his screenplays. Is right. that yeah, yeah. he rewatches all of the stuff and just makes his own little version of each of the the vignettes from yeah. movies that he likes. Yeah, I could definitely see that. But um, you imagine that the next wave of, of fan art directors are just going to be able to do uh, YouTube mashups where they yeah. just take every Philip Seymour Hoffman movie and yeah. they construct a new narrative out of existing totally, scenes. Totally, yeah. Well, um, the dialogue. Yeah, a lot of that's happening with like, um, was it Elijah Wood who just did that? Who screened a, was it Eli- I want to say it's Elijah Wood. But I may be wrong. He screened a like a one hour version of the new Star Wars tri- uh, the, the the new Star Wars trilogy. Oh no, that was the kid from that '70s show, I think. Oh, oh yeah, it was. What's his name? Um, yeah, that guy. <laughs> that guy from that show. Yeah, yeah. This is the Google world, man. You're supposed to have your iPhone and just go. I know, I know. I should have done research before this. What's his face? What's his name? Yeah, yeah. What's his real name though? Topher Grace. Yeah, Topher Grace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he he did a private like a private movie screening. He had he had he had put all three of the films together. And uh, I read a review of it, and it was apparently actually pretty good. Like, mm. he managed to really kind of get the important things and, and leave out the unimportant things, like Jar Jar Binks and um, most of Hayden Christensen's dialogue, I think. <laughs> mm. and, uh, yeah, and like, you know, the, the love story. I mean, you can only do so much with that awful, awful love story. But, but yeah, apparently uh, apparently it was really, it was pretty good. I think you can download it. I think you yeah. can get it on Pirate Bay if, yeah. you, if you look for it. Well, yeah, and apparently he had only, he'd only left in, like, maybe, like, only a few minutes from the first film. Like, that's the one that he really just basically used a it, little bit. Well, it bit doesn't to... have any Anakin Skywalker in it, basically. Ba- he doesn't have any young Anakin Skywalker in it. Like, there's no... Yeah, I mean, Which like the fine. first, the first of the prequels doesn't make any sense because Anakin's not really in it. Yeah, it really should have been. Kid. Um, it really should have been Obi Wan and Anakin in that, those first sequences. There's no reason to have that Qui Gon Jinn guy, but that's another discussion. Yeah, this is another extended uh, scene. <laughs> this is this isn't in the original. Oh no, um, edit him just fucking with him. Yeah. And again, I don't like it's, it's kind of slowing the movie down. Yeah, totally. They don't need to be out in the desert this long. <laughs> I always just thought it was slow. Ah! This <laughs> goes to show. Uh, yeah, I and I it's... bought I bought that DVD, the DVD copy of it. So I think that that was back in God probably two thousand and two or something. I got I picked up that DVD oh, copy, remastered. and so I'd probably seen it once before I bought that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so I was only familiar with that version, which I've seen probably, you know. And I mean, know, whatever, whatever version of like an album that you're used to, whatever version of a movie you're used to, you probably prefer it. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I can definitely see where some of these scenes could, uh, like trimming them. I wouldn't. This is back to the original yeah. cut, which you know this says it all. Yeah, he rolls down the hill like he's completely exhausted. Yeah. Um, and then I think Tuco offers to put him out of his misery here i think yeah i think this is when he was actually going to kill him right and then the uh then the carriage comes comes in they have a well-placed uh hill here to kind of uh disguise um feasibly what might be you know there might be something hidden behind the hill Uh, they take advantage of that Mm -hmm. in a minute um 
I was reading the Wikipedia page, and that was one of the things critically that people have noticed is that a lot of times on Good and the Bad and the Ugly, they'll hide important um, plot elements behind a piece of architecture or a hill right? Um, to make it feasible that the characters didn't notice something until right. a certain moment. Oh, right. And then isn't that like uh, Roger Ebert in his review, what he had noticed about the film was like, um, also like just hiding things at, like off screen like uh, basically just hiding things off screen like out of the camera sight so it's mm-hmm. like um, so that would explain why you know Tuco gets a jump on him earlier on yeah and, sure I mean in the actual west they would have been able to see the stagecoach exactly, at the top of yeah. the hill but because it wasn't in the sight line of the camera yeah it makes it work yeah which I'm totally fine with Six horsepower here. <laughs> oh, kind of mileage you get on that. Getting Tuco showing some skills. <laughs> it's, it's so funny to compare this to the piece of crap that I was watching last night, <laughs> and how like you know, in this scenario, there'd be a bit of expletive dialogue where yeah. you know. Wolverine turns to to uh, to Blondie and says, "Like, oh, there is a stagecoach. It looks like it's out of control. Mm-hmm. I think I'll try to stop it. Here, <laughs> you wait here while I go investigate." Yeah. <laughs> oh, there are people in here. Are you dead? <laughs> well, he's not breathing. What? Maybe he's one of the guys who knows where the money is. There's uh, one one criticism I would make is uh, for the time period, I feel like there could have been a bit more gore, considering that there was a lot of um, <clears throat> there was a lot of really violent movies that were going to be coming out in just five years. Mm. You know, like John Carpenter's Halloween or whatever. Um, I felt like there could have been a bit more gore in this movie, even though it was criticized at the time for being mm-hmm. um, crazy violent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wonder what um, when the Wild Bunch came out compared to when this came out. If only I had some sort of machine that could tell me this these facts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's, he found his machine. He found his my machine. machine. I know normally you'd have people who know what they're talking about <laughs> on these things. To uh, go rooting through instead. is looking for scavenging vulture. I think it's important to note, too, that he needed to do this before he killed Blondie. Like, the, the focus here is, you know, getting rich. It's even more important to him than revenge. Okay, so the um, yeah, so this was this was 1966. This was released in Italy, um, and then the Wild Bunch was 1969. So there you go, three years later, then Bonnie and, Cl- Bonnie and Clyde must have been around that time too. Mm-hmm. So this is this is a pretty good level of gore, I'd say. Then for the time period, yeah. Uh, people who actually do fire guns, uh, 
they think that it's ridiculous the cannon noises that they've used for um, dramatic effect in this movie. I think it's amazing because, uh, you know, I think that the guns are symbolic of, um, you know, conflict between characters. And it uh, it makes you feel the impact of the, the shot so much better when you have that crazy explosion when they go off right you're almost like hearing the emotion in the scene a lot more yeah like the, uh, the rage or the the, the um, lust for money or the the greed is coming through mm-hmm. when you hear those explosions it's not just uh utilitarian this guy's eye patch doesn't look convincing to me <laughs> Not happy with the eye patch, eh? No, no. If I had uh, one, period. if I had one criticism of this movie, yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. eye patches just don't look period. Yeah, that, that'll drive people crazy <laughs> if you do reviews like that. Like pretty good film. Didn't buy that eye patch in uh, the middle seasons. <laughs> like, why would you want to even tell this guy anything? Like, as he's like shaking your face, it's like <laughs> he wants water, Sean. Oh yeah, I forgot. Water. Water. And it gets real sweet. He's like, oh, oh, oh don't die. Don't die. Saddle Cemetery, okay. In the grave, okay. But it must have a name or a number on it. Uh, it must be a thousand, five thousand. It was crazy. Um, I was also reading up on um, the construction process. They got the, I think it was the Spanish army to help out. Mm-hmm. Build all the build sets all those, and things. Build all those graveyards. When it came to the the graveyard, yeah, they wanted to to make an amphitheater like setting for the final Mexican shootout at the end. And um, it's one of those details that is obvious once you hear somebody say it that it's it's been staged so that the the, the three protagonists have become uh, gladiators in mm-hmm. an arena. Um, but for some reason, I never noticed it. You just no. feel it. You go like, there's something about this where like the stakes are so high. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what's making this feel operatic. Right. And then somebody goes like, oh, they've staged it in a, in a gladiator coliseum. Like of a, course you feel that way. Right. It's also like a master class in editing, that mm. scene. Which, again, I, I hate to keep harping back to Tarantino, but like, you know, he's definitely... Definitely looked at that when he was shooting a lot of his scenes and like Kill Bill and stuff. Yeah, Kill Bill, the volume two, the 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 uh, between him, her, and uh, um, Daryl Hannah's character when they're in mm. the uh, in the uh, Winnebago fighting or whatever, and uh, and that that scene's edited like a Leone film. It's just nothing happens in like a two minute span except for these great like edits that get faster and faster and faster you know and closer to the fate like to their eyes and yeah and then she takes her eye which i thought was great kill bill plays a bit more like a cartoon than this movie Mm. i thought that the um I don't know what it was referencing. I thought I thought the best parts of of uh, of two were uh, the buried alive sequence and then the uh, tutelage of Pai Mei. Um, I thought that the the ending with with um, David Carradine was probably the weakest sequence. And then after all of that crazy action, you have the the final death touch 
sequence just mm. like on a patio yeah and <laughs> yeah kind of sick landing yeah. on a patio and then, and then the movie's over I, know, I, I thought that was nice i kind of like that like i think it kind of earned it you know like there's a lot of fantastic fight scenes i think it kind of earned this kind of uh you know teacher you know t- uh, student surpasses the teacher moment you know i thought that it was it was fine that she used the death touch on yeah. him i just thought that the staging was really boring yeah that they it. move yeah. from they're in a living room he's interrogating her yeah he shoots her in the kneecap yeah. they talk some more they sit outside for a little while like he insinuates he yeah, that there's a, a back patio where they can have a proper samurai fight right. by the sunset and you go like oh that'd be cool yeah and instead yeah. right nothing really happens um you're reading while well, this man is dying <laughs> my corporal we're trying to withdraw and you're looking for an infirmary this is another added scene you old coot get out of my way <laughs> apache canyon apache canyon is a mission san antonio around here Sure, 18 miles south. Take him yeah, there. again, not Brothers necessary for the no. plot. No Just go to the monastery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then once you once his brother's revealed, then you go like, oh, that's why he chose that place. Yeah, exactly, you don't need yeah. like somebody Inc. to say, yeah, you right. need to go to Brother Tuco's monastery. Brother yeah. Tuco, that's my name. <laughs> that's my uh, brother, Tuco. <laughs> yeah. Ramirez or whatever his last name is. That's a real X-Men moment there, Sergio. <laughs> <laughs> well, he cut it, right? Yeah, so, yeah, that's true. He knew. He knew it wasn't necessary. He felt it. So, this is back to the, the Hopefully, uh, people who are listening to this are watching the, uh, the uh, director's cut or the full version of the movie. It's really the only so one that's available yeah, for download, true. so that's if you true. get the, the Blu-ray version, it'll mm-hmm. be the extended one. Yeah. Just kind of stupid, in my You don't have a choice. Yeah, I'm sure there's lots of people that prefer the extended one, but, you know, it's not your podcast. Yeah. You have to play by my rules. Suck a big old dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny, though. Like, it, you know, it's really funny, because um, even though I've always loved this movie, I've always felt there was kind of these parts that dragged a bit and that was like a little too long. Like it could have been shaved a bit. So that's interesting that I was always right. Oh yeah. Well, I'll or, give, I can give you, I can give, I have my cut of it on DVD. I, can, oh, cool. I don't even have a DVD player anymore. So uh, you can rip it or whatever you want to do with it. Cool. Yeah. It was the same with the, uh, well, not the same, sorry, but the, we're talking about apocalypse now is, uh, the redux. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of scenes at French not. plantation. Yeah, it was nice, but God, like just take the movie to a halt, right? You really feel like you're going through the jungle when you watch it. <laughs> um, oh, the things, God. though, the things that I really like, the th- any anything with extra Robert Duvall and anything with extra Marlon Brando, I think was all gold. Like mm-hmm. when he's reading from the Time magazine. Yeah, that, that was scene a good was scene. great. Mm-hmm. And there was an extra scene with Duvall that was really great. Like it was. So those things I really liked, but then you're right, that plantation scene. And then like when we see the Playboy bunnies again when there's that weird scene where yeah. that's just a weird scene. <laughs> I thought the for me the Apocalypse Now edit didn't bother me as much as this, just because that movie kind of benefits from the fact that it's slow. Yeah. Um that you need you want the whole the whole uh, pacing is about a long build towards finding Kurtz, Kurtz at the yeah. end of the river. Yeah. And so extending it and making it even more of a journey kind of just makes it feel like the adventure's bigger. Right. Whereas in this, it 
it just feels less tight. Yeah. It feels less like every scene is... In the, um, the theatrical edit, I feel like every scene is telling you a little bit more about the characters. Yeah. And escalating the plot. Like, they learn something, and you learn something about them. Right. Interesting thing. Watching Tuco pray to the painting. <laughs> you wonder, like, if he's putting on a show or... Yeah. It's old habits or something. Old habits? Yeah. <laughs> $100,000. <laughs> he's wearing the eye patch the you know not period exactly but the eye patch <laughs> what he's thinking <laughs> I, I'm not really one that buys into the idea that movies are super influential in the audience but watching Tuco drink all that whiskey kind of makes me want a yeah, whiskey I did want a scotch right now <laughs> so I said probably I wouldn't want any of the, the piss that they drank we're probably drinking like but it looks so good in movies like the colors just perfect mm -hmm. <laughs> it makes it also makes me wish that there still was buried treasure somewhere <laughs> available enough that like you could feasibly go looking for it for a couple of months and find right. something they said uh, I was I was listening to a podcast about Bitcoin, mm. and uh, the guy was theorizing oh. that there's a new treasure hunting trend going on where people are trying to recover old hard drives in the '90s and oh, see yeah. if there was anybody mining bitcoins on it. <laughs> right, and yeah, well, uh, I read about that guy who had a hard drive full of Bitcoin, uh, but forgot it was on there and threw it out. That which is terrible. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he never really had the money. To begin with, though, he's kind of fantasizing about what it could have been worth, you know? Mm. It's like lost money that you never really had, mm. uh, which might be worse. Yeah, yeah, because it could be anything, yeah. You have parents' blood? A mother? No one. Not even a mother. Not even a mother. No one. You're all alone, huh? Just like to go. We're all alone in the world. We're so close. <laughs> I have you, you have me. He's clearly bullshitting him, but mm. I feel like there's still a ring of truth in, in what he's saying. Yeah. yeah there's something lonely about Tuco. Mm -hmm. What a dirty, rotten trick of fate. We could have all that money in our hands. I wonder if he's got a wife somewhere. <laughs> uh, I doubt it. Probably got lots of... I must tell you the truth, Blondie. Whores. <laughs> yeah. would do the same thing. Know, something something makes me think that he might have a, a wife somewhere, like kind of in the same way Denzel Washington's character from uh, Training Day. Did you right. see that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's kind of a scumbag, but he's got his queen and he's got yeah. his kid that he seems to treat pretty well. Right, right. <laughs> and Clint whispers to him. I'm going to sleep real well knowing I have such a good friend <laughs> on my bedside. <laughs> this is so great. I would tell about the gold. Yes, yes, I would. Yes. I'd tell the name on the grave. After all, what good is the money? I know the name of the cemetery, but you know how many graves there are Clint's going exercising that Brando technique. Brando was talking about acting. 
and uh, somebody was asking him advice for actors, and he said, just because the director says action doesn't mean you have to do anything. <laughs> and it's, it's so true. Um, I always, me and my friend Todd call it the Darth Vader effect. Uh-huh. Like sometimes when you just have a straight face, mm-hmm. people, it allows the music and the mood and the circumstance for people to read in to what that look might mean, even right. though it's completely neutral. Right. People go like, oh, he's mad. Right. Like, yeah. Have you ever had that happen in your real life where people, you're just, not thinking anything. You're yeah. just standing there. And you're like, oh, Sean's mad. Yeah, yeah, he didn't exactly. like that. It's you're like, like are you okay? I didn't even react. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, yeah, exactly. Are you okay? Like, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Fuck, I was thinking about what I'm going to make for dinner. Yeah, I'm thinking about craft dinner. Get off my back. <laughs> the only thing keeping him alive is that secret. Mm-hmm. I wonder how they got that fly to stick around through the whole scene. <laughs> Dab a little honey on his cheeks. You get so much for free when you actually just go out to the desert and you have filthy characters playing. Yeah, exactly. Filthy actors yeah. playing the characters. He seems okay now. Over. Having the a cigarette. Go. He's strong. From the way the wounded are pouring into this place, we better get the hell out of here before we get caught up in the war. Look, our father Ramirez is back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is something I have to look into. It'll only take a minute. Get moving. <laughs> Where? This way? Yes. I hope we get a good long sequence where there's no more added stuff for a while. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be here till 10.30. I know. <laughs> Come on. Some of us have to work in the morning, Leone. <laughs> Interesting staging again. You've got um, hey, statues all over this room that kind of illustrate uh, the role of the priest in this, this area. Mm-hmm. But tellingly, they're kind of in the ruins yeah. of this building. I think these people are dedicated to the uh, the cloth, but there's a war going on. Mm-hmm. They can't escape, and they're forced to take care of the wounded and stuff in a conflict they have no interest in. Mm-hmm. I was just passing by here. I said to myself, "I wonder if my This guy's got a great. This guy's got a great face. He's heard it all before. Yeah, loser Tuco, the black sheep. <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't matter. I'm I'm very happy. Mm-hmm. You've seen me too, Cole. Uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm very glad I came. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't like his outfit. Oh, my <laughs> uniform. It's a long story. But let's talk about you. It's <laughs> let's talk about you. <laughs> you look very well. <clears throat> mm, Complimentary. <laughs> you were always thin, eh, Pablito? Did you see his next uh, trilogy, the what about Once Upon a Time in the West, um, Duck, You Sucker, and uh, Once Upon a Time in America? To begin after nine years. That was a trilogy. Yeah, yeah. I don't. What did they have in common? Uh, Birth of America or something or something to do with America. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. That sounds like a marketing thing. No, no, no. That was there's yeah, much was, in common with those movies. Yeah, I think they're in theme. I don't trilogies. I also don't think I've seen Duck You Sucka. Duck Sucka. Yeah, yeah. That was like the they thought that was. Um, I, I think they thought that that was something that American kids said. <laughs> okay, is it any yeah. good? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's 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 um, um. Uh, it's good. What's it? Uh, What's it about? Uh, it's, uh, this Irish. It's in the West, and this, evil, this Irish uh, 
brogue. He's uh, he's like he's like a, a explosives expert. Oh, and, neat. Uh, um, and, and he's he blowing up banks or something, or what yeah. does he use his explosives to do? You know, I can't really remember. It's probably the least seen film I, I, I of Leone's films that I've. You know, I think I saw it once. I have it, but I think I've only seen it once. So yeah, I just remember there's these really awkward flashback scenes in it. Um, where I think they're supposed to sort of like show this ideal ideal sort of life, but they're played out in slow motion, and they look they're kind of laughable because of that. And uh, so I remember, but it's still not too bad a movie, but it doesn't hold a candle these ones. Yeah, yeah. To me, I read uh, today that uh, Clint Eastwood was originally supposed to be harmonica in um, Once Upon a Time in the West, and that would have made that movie better. And uh, I think that it would have been a perfect. Yeah. The perfect quadrilogy. Yeah, yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. Can you imagine if Clint Eastwood was in that yeah. fourth movie? I like Charles Bronson, like, but yeah. The death scene at this yeah. stuff. And it would have made it um, very similar in mood to Unforgiven. Mm. Unforgiven's kind of like the unofficial like fourth Man With No Name movie, just mm-hmm. in that um, you kind of get to see the end of the arc, mm-hmm. and you get to see a different side of, uh, of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean Charles Bronson's fine in that movie it's a good movie yeah. but um, it, it's not I don't like it as much as, as this film and mm-hmm. I can't really put my finger on why there's something about uh, the there's something about Clint Eastwood that um, is such a perfect counter note to mm-hmm. the world that it's in right. that he's that he's thrown against right and it might just be the his face like he's uh, he's just uh, the only handsome guy in the movie so mm-hmm. you, you kind of subconsciously right feel like he he should be the hero somehow yeah oh um, uh james coburn that's the guy that's the guy from duck you sucker <laughs> hmm. james coburn anyway sorry it just hit me i couldn't think of it until now. nice guy my brother mm-hmm but yeah, I, I remember I saw um, Once Upon a Time in the West just a few years ago. Um, and uh, it, it's clearly the same in the same uh, vein. The same. Uh, it's directed the same. The pacing's the same. Um, the theme music is is very similar. It fits right in with the with the dollars. Yeah, I, I really like the music in Once Upon a Time Once Upon a Time in the West. I actually think it's probably one of. Marconi's best scores. Mm-hmm. Some really great like moments no in that score. Happens. The harmonica is really Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> some of its formula. It's a wonderful, it, it, there's a wonderful uh, build in the, uh, when they reveal the town, you know, and the, the girl comes to the town and she goes through the, the door, the, you know, the, I guess I can't remember what is it, the train entrance, and then the camera pans up and there's this beautiful theme that plays and when they show the town and mm. it's it's such a, great moment in, uh, mm-hmm. in film yeah that's that's the one with the uh the widow mm-hmm. who falls in love with uh the fonda dude right mm-hmm. that was a that was a really weird scenario mm-hmm. a little bit <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. how he's he's kind of almost like a rapist mm-hmm. I think, and then she actually does fall in love with him yeah and she's kind of on side and then yeah there's a little it's a lot of that kind of stuff going on in older films. <laughs> it's an interesting, it's an interesting, unexpected, unexpected twist. Yeah, it's funny that the, I mean, so much, especially in westerns, 
uh, that's played out quite a bit where like you know, the man forces himself on the woman and she just like realize like has a change of heart mm-hmm. all of a sudden like yeah. she's not into it but then the the threat of physical violence she's suddenly like no this is cool and like noirs do that a lot too like it's bogart or something mm-hmm. it's like you know, she doesn't want to kiss bogart oh no she does it's okay He's strong and he knows what he wants. Yeah. And what he wants is me. Mm-hmm. I could see the appeal of that if I was a lady. <laughs> it's a little rapey for me, I think. Well, I mean, if, I, if you had a gender reversal and you had like a strong chick that was like, you know, I want to be your, your woman. She's like pushing you around and stuff. No, I'd be it's not. It's yeah. not like 100% a turn off. It would be like, yeah. whoa, she's, she's really passionate about this. <laughs> and like uh, in in terms of like, history you're talking about a time that was violent across the board Mm. everything was more violent like having a child was more violent Mm. having going to the doctor was more violent Mm. taking a vacation was more violent (laughs) killed by fucking indians (laughs) um this is great by sorry to interrupt but i love this uh they where they think it's the yeah again leone is the it's so great with doing screenwriting and uh Making the the staging be the important storytelling device. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just have a look with Clint where He's kind of skeptical. Like, yeah. Oh wait a minute. Again, the Tuco rule. Everything's a fucking disaster. Yeah. <laughs> Not on our side because he hates idiots also. And this dandy. jacket. <laughs> You've made a mistake, sir. That coat is blue. They're northerners, so they're a bit more refined. Yeah. Until you get into the prison camp. Yeah. Which is nice to see a northern prison camp. Like, the north were probably just as just as bad, so... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> across the board, of, yeah. everybody was more sadistic and violent back in the, the old days. Indeed. Tend to not see the winners uh, portrayed as the... <laughs> the bad it's guys. Villains, yeah. Yeah. Interesting that uh, Angel Eyes is part of the Northern Army, too. Yeah. Um, again, I think that it it's a, it's a staging trick where you're learning a little bit more about the character in a, in a subtle way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Northern Army would have been made up of wealthier uh, people from uh, backgrounds in business as opposed to uh, farming and agriculture. Um, so it's interesting to the, all these little touches his pipe his his gun his his way of dressing um him being part of the northern army it kind of gives you hints that he's some sort of aristocrat from mm-hmm. the north before his daughter was murdered and he became a bounty hunter I don't know if they've revealed that Angel Eyes is in the camp until... Yeah, they don't do it yet. I guess uh, in that previous scene where he was at the fort, there may have been a, a line or two that... Mm. Or maybe they assume it's I think so. I think, I think it's a reveal. Yeah.
Again, Leone's using the, the telescope to kind of uh, limit your field of view to certain important mm -hmm. elements in right. the scene. And we see the reveal. fat guard. We see we angel, see angel eyes. eyes. Which you don't know. You know, it's someone important. Carson. Bill Carson. Oh, mm. ears perk up. What the fuck? <clears throat> and I mean, in the wrong hands, like this would seem like such an unlikely scenario that your two rogue adventurers meet mm. up with the the antagonist. But in this, it works. There's something feels real natural about it where it's a coincidence but it's it's a the kind of coincidence that's not unlikely yeah insults are like he's trying but <laughs> at the same time uh blondie has a, a different point of view on on the boasts now right like yeah. he knows right that away. tuco's kind of dangerous so mm -hmm. gets kind of a kick at it uh kick yeah. out of sure you know, shit talk yeah i think that he also appreciates having uh a a decoy along with him mm-hmm Really nice uh, contrast when they start playing that lonely soldier music while they're beating mm -hmm. the hell out of It's a really good scene. Yeah. And you see that they, you know, they don't, they know why they're playing, you know, like they're, it really gets to them as the performers as well. Yeah, they're, they know that that's the cue for torture. Yeah. It has to play louder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I die, you'll be in charge. I know the prisoners here are being robbed systematically. I know there's scum around who are bivouacked near the camp waiting for someone <laughs> to deliver this loot. Yeah, it's a pretty good angle. Pretty good situation to be in. Am I clear? <clears throat> yes. Just as long as you're the commandant. <laughs> yes, Sergeant. Yeah. I didn't remember what uh, what that exchange was about, but yeah. it, it, it appears Angel Eyes has got a, a criminal racket. Yeah. Uh, stealing all the, the supplies and stuff. And all the stuff from the prisoners. Stealing mm -hmm. from the prisoners. Nicely done, Angel Eyes. 
<laughs> Screw you, prisoners. I guess $100,000 in gold is a provocative amount of money for anybody, but the only funny thing um, about his character is you wonder why Angel Eyes is as motivated by the money as the other two guys. Mm -hmm. I think that it might be just a, a formidable adventure. Like, he right. seems to be getting kind of bored of how easy he has it. Yeah, yeah. And, um... Maybe he's reminiscing about the old days when he was a, a less experienced bounty hunter, and mm -hmm. he wants to get uh, you know back in the saddle, get a challenge going. Right. Uh, which might be the reason why he ends up letting Blondie go, and indirectly letting Tuco live as well. Again, you get a, a good scenario where Tuco's tortured. Tuco being, Tuco being tortured uh, ends up putting him in the scenario of being the sympathetic character mm -hmm. once once again. Um, would have been less effective to have uh, Blonde brought into the room and beaten up in the same way and leaving Tuco outside. Mm -hmm. Well, that's you know the point. Like He knows, Angel Eyes knows, you're not going to get any information out of Blondie by torturing him. And that's why he later just makes a deal with Blondie. Makes a lot of sense in that regard, but it also makes sense in terms of the pacing of the movie. Um, I think that, you know, again, if this was X-Men, mm -hmm. you would probably have one of them. You would probably have Wolverine in this sequence. They, they're very uncomfortable. Modern movies seem to be very uncomfortable leaving the main character out of a scenario right. for too long. That's true. Like, Red Letter Media would say that it's because the director thinks everybody's stupid. Right. <laughs> um, and that, oh, the audience is going to be wondering, where's Wolverine? Yeah. <laughs> we haven't seen Wolverine in, like, three minutes. He Is he gone? Did he die? Am this, I in the wrong theater? Is this when he naps? But this movie's so goddamn confident with just being able to move from scenario to scenario, and uh, it borders on... Especially in this ex ex extended cut where Angel Eyes has his own long sequences off by himself. Mm -hmm. You basically have a, a three protagonist structure, which really helps the, the final Mexican standoff. Mm -hmm. um, I remember watching... Did you watch Gravity? The Sandra no, Bullock I didn't see it, movie? no. Um, one of the issues that I had with Gravity was that Sandra Bullock was the only goddamn character. Mm -hmm. So within the first like 45 minutes, everybody's been killed mm -hmm. and she's off crawling through wreckage. Yeah. And it's disaster sequence after disaster yeah. sequence and near miss after near miss. Right. But the thing is, it has no tension because she's the only character. Mm -hmm. Of course she's going to get out of it. Right. It doesn't matter like how tense the situation's going to be getting. Right. You know that she's going to figure out a way to unlock the airlock and. Right survive yeah, i guess i don't need to see it now no. yeah. <laughs> so um when you i think in a movie like this where it's more ensemble based mm -hmm. you end up escalating the tension because 
conceivably in that final gunfight, maybe it's going to be a down ending. Maybe mm-hmm. Angel Eyes does kill them both. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's going to be an ambivalent ending and it's Tuco that ends up with the money. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's going to be a classic hero arc where Blondie does it. Mm-hmm. Um, little choices like that really mm-hmm. early on in the screenplay, it, it makes such a big difference in the, the final oh. section of the movie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I also felt like... Um, They made the same mistake in um, The Avengers, I thought. Did you see The Avengers? No. Oh, goddamn, Sean. I know. Um, I'm so behind. It's like... I did watch uh, Only Lovers Left Alive last <laughs> night. <laughs> Which was going to be the original review, yeah. but then I realized that nobody's seen that movie. Yeah. So, um, The Betrayal. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, they made the, the, the same kind of awkward choice in Avengers, where... Um, Throughout the first half of the movie, there they insinuate that Loki, uh, Thor's cousin or brother, or whatever, right. his main power is that he can control minds. Right. And it's insinuating that you they have to be very careful about keeping the Hulk out of the hands of Loki because okay. he can't have control over the most powerful right um, creature in the Marvel universe. That seems fair. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you go like, oh, that's brilliant. So this, the climax of this movie is going to be Loki taking control of the Hulk, and then you have like this really tough situation for the Avengers because mm-hmm. you have a formidable physical villain, but he's mm-hmm. also part of your team, so you don't want to kill him. Right. And instead what they do is they throw out that subplot <laughs> yeah. midway through, and they d- introduce interdimensional aliens. And uh-huh. a portal opens up, and spaceships come out, and mm-hmm. you have a brawl between the main Avengers and these purple aliens that have right. no central antagonist character that we care about. Right. It's just this army of monsters. Right. Um, and what I'm getting at is like, that's the exact opposite of something like this mm-hmm. where you very carefully build an antagonistic relationship between three principal characters right. that don't really seem to have a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know from the title that there's a good man, the ugly character, right. but we've see, they all have an equal amount of screen time. Right. So it's conceivable that maybe uh, any of them could have come away with the gold at the end, depending on yeah. the type of um, the type of final beat that the director wanted to put on it. Type of um, more feelings. <laughs> and they just look crushed. You get the feeling that they've all been in that room at one time or yeah. another. It's pretty. It's pretty moving. A little moment. I think one of the most um, telling lines in this movie is after Clint Eastwood surveys the battlefield um, and the bridge sequence, and uh, he says, "I've never seen so many men wasted so badly." Yeah. You feel like that's the main theme of the movie, kind of. Uh, it seems to be what Blonde is, is thinking in a lot of these scenarios. Um, he's a soldier of fortune. He's a hired gun. But I think that he's just being pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Like, what else is he going to do? Right, yeah. You know? He knows that even if he decided to take a safe path and become a shopkeeper... You're not going to be able to avoid the violence in this yeah. area, in this arena. You might end up dying faster. Yeah. 
he seemed to have developed a, a formidableness that's allowed him to be a survivor and make his way through the world. This kid's great. Look at this. It's like... Great face. Great hat. Yeah. <laughs> it's got kind of a Seven Dwarfs dopey <laughs> feeling to it. <clears throat> yeah, there's lots of good hats in this sequence. <laughs> there was I was watching um, the documentary inside Stanley Kubrick's boxes. Oh yeah. yeah. Or Stanley Kubrick's boxes. Yeah. This is called. And uh, one of the sequences, they opened up a box that had. Um, photographs of the principals in Clockwork Orange trying on all sorts of different hats. Oh, okay. To see what the the hats that had the right combination of menace right. and playfulness. Right. Where like they still seemed like a teen street gang, but it was also kind of scary. Right. It's pretty interesting to see all the different combinations they came with and how silly some of them looked. Yeah. It's like, oh, cowboy hat, that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> or, oh, pilgrim hat, that doesn't work. <laughs> See, all you need to do is stick your thumbs into someone's eye and they'll tell you anything. Buried in a grave. Especially when the guy who's doing it has one eye. Yeah. So you wonder if he's had it done to him. Yeah, retribution. Mm-hmm. Which grave? You mentioned that earlier, where you're like, uh, an art direction thing, a yeah. guy has been a glass eye. Yeah. <laughs> See, it works. But it works in this situation, yeah. <laughs> Blondie. I think that it uh, having Tuco put on the, the bad eye patch is a little bit of evidence too that mm -hmm. Leone thought that it looked a little silly too. Yeah. It's kind of a bad disguise. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was dressing like Carson, right? So. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was being Carson. But I mean like when he's choosing the costume, he wants right. to make sure that it works as cost uh, Carson's costume, but it also is going to look silly on Tuco. Yeah. Where? To find $200,000. I know the name of the cemetery now. And you know the name of the grave. I dig uh this is an interesting change of pace to different allies. You know, yeah. Like we've we've yeah, kind of yeah. seen Tuco and, totally. and Clint a little bit too much. Yeah. Time to change up the format a little bit. Um, and going back to what I was saying, the idea about um, having that add to dramatic tension is when you change the alliance, you suddenly wonder, is Tuco vulnerable? Did they yeah. kill Tuco? Yeah, exactly. Now that we're moving on the story without him. Um, it's a trick that Game of Thrones well, has been thought. using really, yeah. really well. Not that you're any tougher than Tuco, but you're smart enough to know that talking won't save you. <clears throat> and Tuco. That's actually a pretty telling line, too. Not that you're any tougher than Tuco. You're just smart enough no. to know that uh, talking won't save you. Mm -hmm. But he's in very good hands. It's also interesting to see Blonde ask if he's okay. Yeah. I'm not greedy. There's two of us. Should make it easier than just one. <clears throat> Listen to, yeah, I'm kind of answering my own question uh, in that earlier yeah. I was asking, you know, what Angel Eyes has in this, this adventure, mm -hmm. what his, his goal is. And I think that, I guess, if he's that interested in money that he wants to go through all this, it shows that he's an even more 
lost character than the previous scenarios have insinuated. Mm -hmm. Like it's all he knows. Well, he's just playing up to his role as the bad, right? Right. Yeah. Like by making the decision to, you know, torture people and, uh, you know, exploit an entire prison camp and then go murder people to find yet another hundred thousand dollars right. when you're already rich. Right. That's that's pretty low. <laughs> that's a pretty bad. That's a pretty bad guy. Yeah. Hey, Corporal, afraid he'll get lost. Where's the rebel going? To hell with a rope around his neck and a price on his head. Yeah. $3,000, friend. That's a lot of money for a head. Mm -hmm. He's even proud of his bounty. But they didn't even pay you a penny for your arm. Oh. Ow, that would hurt. <laughs> There's apparently um, a big uh, stereotype of the Civil War is because they were firing musket balls at one another. There was tons and tons of um, <coughs> mutilations. Mm. It was... Uh, gory war yeah it's like people that survived but they would have like no legs or yeah like and also like any injuries they had gangrene they had no way of treating the injuries mm -hmm. so just hack your, your leg yeah off exactly and get gangrene. yeah it's pretty crazy yeah. confederate spy you get some grub a rope when you're all finished and there isn't any partner this time to shoot you down <laughs> mm -hmm. that's interesting a good callback to yeah. around in the movie like, yeah their reputations have spread yeah we kind of know their mo now And again, if this was X-Men or whatever, you'd probably have uh, Clint Eastwood uh, handcuffed to him, too. <laughs> you can't forget that Blondie's in the movie. <laughs> what happened to Blondie? <laughs> Where am I? That movie it has gotten like so much love, though. I, I have a feeling that I'm going to make a lot of people mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a surprise to hear. It was funny. Like I was at work, and... Um, this guy I work with is, is a huge fanboy of X-Men, and okay. he really liked it. And then he was wondering why I didn't like it. Yeah. And I just went, like, point for point yeah, all yeah. the way from beginning to end. Yeah. The things I would change. And he agreed with most of it. He's oh, like, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been better. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, that was different than the comic book. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's funny when you, when you have lots of friends from different backgrounds, how everybody kind of watches movies for different reasons yeah. and from different points of view. Yeah. This is another added scene. Oh, is it? I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's prepared. He's got his finger on his gun. Uh, okay. Character. He kills a guy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Got the jump on angel eyes. They're liable to catch a cold, aren't they? Or a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Angel has got a boner. That's right. There is like his. Oh, those were his henchmen. Yeah. Fuck. Paid good money for that guy, but he thinks it's funny. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Since we're all going in the same direction, might as well go. Together. Clint's got the fashion scarf on. <laughs> That'd be a good two, American apparel accessory. Three, <laughs> the Clint Eastwood fashion scarf. Five, yeah. Should steal that. Six. Number. Mm. Isn't three the perfect number? Mm. Yeah, I got 
got six more bullets in my gun. Oh. <laughs> Do those revolvers have seven cartridges? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I think he reloaded. I'm just going to go ahead and assume he did. He's not an idiot. No. No. Back to the original cut. Tuco waking up, take a piss. Yeah, it's pretty clever. Again, staging. A lot of different ways that a guy can break away from his, his captor. Mm -hmm. But uh, they save the gun battles. There's like... They're used sparingly. Like, they mm -hmm. kind of make the, the guns more special by having it only be, like, one of many different scenarios, one of many different ways to kill somebody, one of right. many different ways to move the plot forward. Um, by this time, in, like, a modern movie, you'd expect there... We just had a scene where they introduced body count characters, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the sure, cut that I'm familiar with, that scene doesn't exist. Yeah. So much like with the, um, the previous sequence where Tuco got his gang together, you know that it's Tuco's gang because they show up with Tuco. Yeah, exactly. You don't need to explain. Surprised he never thought. Piss pals. That this would be a problem. Tuco turns to him. He's like, "Is this where the dicks hang out?" Zane. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cold though. Just bashes his brain in with a rock. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, you wonder if they got stuntmen to do that. Yeah. There's a lot of rocks in there. Smashes his head on a rock. It's pretty, pretty cold. No padding. You made a lot of noise, my friend. Huh? How's he gonna drag that fatso up there? Staging again. <laughs> this is such a, a cool way to get out of handcuffs. Yeah. Get train over. And it almost killed him in real life. Yeah, in the Wikipedia page they were going on about the, the steps on the train. Yeah, that no one took it took into account. Yeah. <laughs> if he had it like pulled his head up, it would have decapitated him. Yeah, it, it seems a little something about that doesn't make sense just because they were on the train a minute ago. So far aware that you can board it on, on metal steps. Or maybe they filmed it in a different order. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that train's gonna derail that big guy underneath it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like how he gets swept up with the train, yeah. carried off. I mean, this could have backfired. Can you imagine, like, if it, it didn't uh, didn't cut it and just dragged you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that he's aware. Of, of the different types of metals, right? Like yeah. the train tracks would be a very hard steel, whereas the, the handcuffs might be yeah. a bit softer. And also, it's kind of one of those things where, like, you got to get out of there, so however you do it. And again, there's little touches like Tuco rebuilding the gun, stopping the stagecoach. All those little touches kind of insinuate that. He's bright. Yeah. You know? He yeah. Thinks, well, he's, thinks like you say, he's street so. smart, right? He's got a lot of experience and yeah. stuff, so he probably knew that the train tracks, you know, the train wheels would be harder steel than the, yeah. the shitty manacles that he was wearing. I didn't notice that the body was on the tracks there. Yeah. I, I thought 
Just went off with up. With yeah, it. I thought before I was just gonna stick with the train for <coughs> a, a posse built up here. Yeah, I guess that is kind of an important little scene because it's kind of an odd how they would have a posse all of a sudden, you know. Like, but again, you just assume that they're angel eyes guys. They yeah. they got hired to come along. Yeah. Um, I don't even remember. I don't know if that shot is even in the original right. cut. True. Because I think they just go into the city, and um, you learn that Angel Eyes has a posse later on when um, Clint hooks back up with Toko, and they're right. going to go shoot down the um, Angel Eyes men. Right. We'll see that in a minute. I forget exactly how it goes down, but I remember them reading a note from Angel Eyes, and then... No, 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 this shot's in the original. Mm. So. Oh, yeah, this is when... Um, it ki he kills all of Angel Eyes' men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because Tuco arrives back in town yeah, and he's exactly. furious at Angel Eyes, so yeah. Clint's like, all right, let's take him out. Yeah. That's right. We're friends again, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Shifting alliances. It's kind of... It's an easy thing to forget, but it's funny when you realize that every character in a certain movie are murderers. Right. <laughs> murderers and outlaws. Yeah. Somehow you have a, a soft spot for them. Yeah. I've been thinking about a lot, a lot about that lately, because... Uh, so much of that is so popular now, you know, Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones and things like that. You wonder if there's a way to structure the movie the same, where it has all the same beats, the same uh -huh. level of comedy, the same level of action, but they're nice, the characters they're are good people. <laughs> they don't, they don't shoot people. Yeah, there's uh, no murders yeah. in the movie. It's exactly. just uh, about some other type of adventure. Right. They're all um, speechwriters. They're all public speakers or something. <laughs> or they're, they're having a headed to the world championship of um, spelling bee. Or right. It's the, the king's speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the king's speech was kind of that way. Yeah. It's like something so stupid. Yeah. But um, because of the character's limitations, it's dramatic. Yeah. Court McCarthy would argue that it has to be this way because this is the natural end point for conflict. Mm-hmm. Like, after everything else, after conversations, after bartering, after when there's certain, like, scenarios where one man and uh, is in conflict with another and one of them has to go, mm -hmm. you know? That's that's uh, the purest essence of, of conflict is mm -hmm. direct combat between two people. Yeah. And that's kind of what Cormac McCarthy's stories are all about. Like, every, every story kind of reflects that. Right. Took me so long to realize that this guy was the the guy from the beginning of the film, who wasn't killed by Tuco the first time. Oh, He's, when he crashes out of the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. It took, yeah. I, it took me a few. Oh, I didn't. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So now it's. He's like he's hunted him down. I don't know how he knows Tuco's here though. Yeah. But whatever. It's still fun. <laughs> I think like subconsciously I knew that just by. Yeah, because I never questioned why this I one guy he's was got hunting. enemies yeah. all over yeah, the place. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so but. I like that. That's he's the guy for like the first shot of the film, like the first guy. Mm -hmm. Tuka's gonna take advantage. Rightly so. Could probably use a bath. This is another good example of that kind of 
that comic relief that That's isn't um, isn't heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Like it's situational. <clears throat> he doesn't need to make a wisecrack or say yeah. some stupid right line to nobody in particular. He's like talking to the audience. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's like rub a dub dub. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I've got to look my best today. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. <laughs> it's like, Tuco, is it time for a bath? Yeah, yeah. sure. Why not? Now he's got the little mirror, dainty. Yeah. Brushes his teeth with the bath water. <laughs> yeah, but it, it it's also like what shows up a lot in this movies. You know, he's he's con- it's comic relief, but he's also very dangerous. You know, and I think that's great because mm-hmm. he's not just there. To be laughed at. Yeah. A bit like the Joker in, in that way. Yeah, totally. It's a lot like the Joker in that way, yeah. Shows a bit of hedonism, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been looking for you for eight months. <laughs> Whoa. So it's been eight right months. We have a timeline. Right hand. Maybe he shot his arm off. Must have. <laughs> Such a great face he has. Yeah. Where he's like, I wonder why he doesn't just shoot me. Yeah. And I love this line. It's so good. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. <laughs> so good. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I love seeing him. Philosophy. And then fucking Clint, Clint playing with, with the kitten. kitten. Swoon. <laughs> that reminds me of the Dark Knight uh, Returns comic book when they introduce Superman and he's hanging out in a uh, meadow of flowers and he's petting a horse. <laughs> and he's got like this great pose, this all-American pose. Uh-huh. Um, it's a, it's a hilarious kind of um, juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. And also, really, um, really uh, obvious um, screenwriting uh, sub- psychology manipulation. Like, there's one of the one of the basic tenets of stre- screenwriting is if you want the audience to like a character, you have them do something nice for an animal. Right. And if you <laughs> yeah, want them totally. to immediately dislike a character, you have them do something bad to an animal. Right. So. A lot of times, if you watch a, a film, there'll be an instance where the villain like kicks a dog or mm-hmm. whatever. I think in that case, it was probably just there was a kitten on set. Yeah, exactly. Huh? <laughs> he gets soap in his eye. <laughs> just a minute. <laughs> Fucking bubbles. <laughs> when I was a, a kid, uh, we moved into a house that had one of those jacuzzi bathtubs. Mm-hmm. And you're not supposed to put bubble bath in them, right? Uh, right, yeah. And uh, my little brother was taking a jacuzzi and he had <laughs> like, put a whole bottle of bubble bath in the thing. And I heard a scream. And uh, he ran out into the hallway, and it was just like a cartoon, like a wall of bubbles, like spilled out into the hallway. Amazing! And he was dressed in bubbles, like he was completely naked, but he had like a covered. That's he hilarious. looked like the Michelin Michelin Man. Jesus! You know, with all the suds. <laughs> I only thought that happened in cartoons. No, it happened in real life. Your parents must have been very happy about that. 
I helped him clean it up. You have to squash all of the bubbles with a, a, a towel. Like, you can't yeah. get rid of them. They're formidable. This is great that he's standing there with his dick hanging out in this important discussion. Only you know you have the secret. Want to go for a bath? Hey. <laughs> I like your scarf. With me, and we're together again. I get dressed, I kill him, be right back. <laughs> oh, listen, uh, I forgot to mention. Uh, he's not alone. There's five of them. Five? Yeah, five of them. <laughs> what happened to seven? He killed... He the killed... lucky number. Yeah. That's why you came to Tuko. It doesn't matter. I'll kill them all. That guy. Nice. Here, See, here again, him. good staging, direct yeah. editing. Like, it's already begun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we, we saw him kill him, like, when he left. What? Yeah, when he when they left the house, he goes around the corner, and then he pulls him aside, and then shoots him, and then walks away. Um, yeah. So, so Blondie shot that guy. Blondie, yeah. Oh, okay. He made... That's less good. <laughs> <laughs> It's all right. It was pretty cool. You would have liked it. <laughs> well, look who's here. The other one will be along. They'll come looking for us. <clears throat> Watch out. There's two of them. I want that blonde alive. I wonder if uh, Angel Eyes takes off right as soon as he sends his men out because mm. what is the advantage that he has in this scenario like if the, if the two characters get killed then he doesn't have access to the yeah. money anymore so just, I don't know just uh, watching I guess <laughs> just curiosity I think he probably just uses a decoy and then takes off regroup mm-hmm This is a, a great piece of staging, too. Um, it kind of has the feel of a shooting gallery. Mm -hmm. I like the people are kind of popping out from side to side. And, yeah. And then this great edit where it's mm -hmm. like, you're not alone, buddy. Alone. Backing you up. Mm -hmm. You've never seen the, the two work together yet? Great musical cue. Yeah. Let's do this. It kind of reminds me of like an all-star game. Yeah. You know, <laughs> fucking uh, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson get to play on the same team. And once you're like, oh my god, worlds are colliding. They're going to be doing some crazy back, behind the back passes. <laughs> Double yeah. dunk. Behind the back shooting. And they're all, of course, awful shots. I, I think that that was one of Angel Eyes' guns from the second movie, but I could be wrong. Long barreled. Yeah. They're bad shots, so. <laughs> yeah, nice work, Tuco. <laughs> oh, you. I like that Tuco found a coat. Still, like, perfectly matches his outfit, though. Perfectly good <laughs> character. Blondie's travel on light. <clears throat> I really can't get over how much better the hats are in this movie than in uh, 50s westerns. It's crazy <laughs> to me. 
I always find it funny, like, with art direction, when you watch a, a shitty movie about ancient Rome mm-hmm. or about any time period in the past, and right. the p- people look awkward. Yeah. It looks like they're in costumes. Yeah. And then when a, a show gets it right, mm. it feels like real people would wear that stuff. Right. It looks natural. Like, when you watch HBO's Rome, yeah. it doesn't look weird at all. It's like, oh, that looks like a very comfortable way to dress in that right. particular part of the world. Right, yeah. You see the hats in this movie, and you go like, "Oh, okay." Keeps the sun off your face. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a shitty movie, Troy. Mm. Like they, everything they wear, of course, is clean, and and they don't look good. And the other thing that bothered me about it is that everyone shaved their chest. <laughs> <laughs> like Eric, even Eric Bana had this like this what? like beard. That must have taken forever. I know. To shave he, even Eric he Bana. had. He was, I thought it was hilarious because he had this beard and like this neck stubble that went down just to the bottom of his neck and then stopped and then no hair and it's like. Are we that scared of chest hair on men that like Bald none of these guys? Banner. Like I understand that Brad Pitt can't grow chest hair, <laughs> except oh. well, I, don't know, I accept that though. But Eric Bana's a man; he's mm-hmm. got hair, you know. Well, one step further, did you ever see uh, Steven Spielberg's Hook? Oh yeah, yeah. Holy shit, Robin Williams is the hairiest. Oh yeah, totally. ape in the world, and, and Bob they, Hoskins. They shave him down real good. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a bald, uh, bald little boy. Yeah, it's crazy. By the time he becomes Peter Pan. I think that they must have added several million dollars to his contract. <laughs> go through all the waxing. Yeah, the yeah a waxer on on call because it grew every five hours. Mm-hmm. Idiots. Hmm? It's for you. <laughs> Zing. Waka waka. <laughs> oh, why yada? <laughs> Is this the bridge sequence coming up? Yeah. Nice. Bridge that blew up twice. Yeah, <laughs> and that was funny. On the Wikipedia page, it was saying that the it was because the the cast and crew were all speaking different languages. Mm. So yeah. when the cinematographer was saying that like he was ready to shoot, yeah, the whoever was hand, handling the pyrotechnics and the explosions thought that that was the cue to blow up the bridge, mm-hmm. and so they detonated the bridge and. The thing that they had taken months to build blew up without the fucking cameras rolling. <laughs> they had to re, they had to rebuild it and shoot while they were rebuilding. Have the army, the slave, <laughs> put it back up. They had excellent craftsmanship. I don't. Did anyone tell the soldiers that it doesn't need to be a functional bridge? We just need it for a wide shot. We're we're blowing it up anyway. Just yeah. kind of make it stand. Yeah. <laughs> and do it. And they take pride in their work. Yeah. yeah. Dug all these fucking trenches. <laughs> Did anyone tell them they can just do it with CGI? Mm-hmm. Matte painting. <laughs> yeah. No problem. Exactly. That uh, that previous cut where they come around the boulder and they see the the um, military field. That's another example mm. of what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. How uh, Leone makes uh, it's it's really the point of view of the camera that's yeah. important. It doesn't matter if uh, it makes logical sense that they'd be able to see it right. in the battlefield from afar. Yeah. Oh, Things are a little dry on the battlefield. <laughs> Crazy Alki. He's not gonna be it. Illinois. 
I'm with him. <laughs> Mexican accent. <laughs> Any reason for being around here? Uh, we we want to enlist, General. <laughs> yeah, all right. You better learn to distinguish rank. Oh, Captain. Get the hell out. This is uh, again. They've put so much care into every single aspect, every single side character, making a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Like the re, this scheme probably wouldn't work, but for the fact that the general, the uh, the captain's kind of a drunk and kind of suicidal anyway. Yeah. Just given up on. So he thinks yeah. it's kind of funny that these weird. Outliers have have decided to sneak onto the base, and right. he's like, maybe they are here to sabotage. I don't really care. I wish yeah. somebody would blow up that fucking <laughs> yeah, bridge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's a little suspicious. Clint doesn't drink that much. Tuco. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> we should we should romp together. You've got a career. <laughs> At least I'd say you, my colonel. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Like it says in the manual, you've got every qualification to become an expert in the use of weapons. <laughs> he reminds me of George Clooney. Yeah, he does a little bit. Eh? It's it's always uh, weird to me to um, place the Civil War um, historically and where it like fits in with what was going on in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. You have Napoleon type times. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, in North America, the Americans are riding around on ponies with fucking swords and firing muskets <laughs> and cannonballs. <laughs> but um, each other. It, it led seamlessly into World War one mm -hmm. where they were having a lot of the same tactics and then the jump from world war one to world war two is fucking crazy you basically enter the space age by the time world war two is over but for the longest time it was just people on horses swinging swords at each other yeah and you no Great teeth. I was about to say, jeez. <laughs> Wonder how long he's been in the stalemate. Yeah. Two attacks a day, like clockwork. Headquarters is declared. We must take that ridiculous flashback. This is kind of what I was describing earlier about Otherwise how it puts uh, the mission for the gold into perspective. Yeah. Seems like a much more reasonable thing to be doing yeah, with exactly. your time than to having two armies from the same country run yeah. at each other and fire musket balls over a stupid bridge. You'll all turn to dust. One thing is sure, boy. Bread will stand unbroken. <laughs> Is it bad to speak the way I do the volunteers? 
I've done a lot worse. <laughs> I've done it. I've blown it up. Oh. <laughs> In here. I destroyed it all. It's a court martial. It's nothing. Imagine the dream of blowing it up. A serious <laughs> crime. Even to think of destroying that bridge is just... <clears throat> Why not really blow it up, Captain? Yeah, Captain, it's nothing. Let's scare the hell out of them. Let's scare the hell out of them. <laughs> it's just crazy enough to work. <laughs> I've been dreaming about <laughs> What did I tell you? I'm dreaming about this. I've even worked out a plan. <laughs> Does he show them sure the TNT? I'm, I'm curious. Some of the, the some of the parts that get real quiet because I don't remember what's happening in yeah, exactly. the scenarios. But... I remember it being kind of. If I could do it, I could save many thousands of men. It's kind of a pleasant surprise when they find the TNT just kind of lying there, and there's already a lull in the, the fighting. Right. I don't know. It's weird. I think they fall asleep for a while, and they wake up, and everybody's finished shooting at each other. Captain, all companies are waiting. Another good, neat little thing is like. That guy's wearing a shirt that's way too coat that's way too big for him. You know, like <laughs> nice little attention to detail. Mm -hmm. All right, friends, come along and enjoy the spectacles. <laughs> the spectacle. <laughs> it's the best show in town. It's the only show in town. It cost you a cent. Just your life. Oh yeah, they're on top of the TNT. That's right. They're like right now. They're. That's where they store the munitions or something. Or that it's a little little tent or something. <laughs> Wish me luck. <laughs> It's interesting that they mount their swords on their guns. Mm -hmm. I mean, the musket balls weren't very accurate, and you only could fire once a minute or whatever. <laughs> so it still came down to just running at the person and yeah, putting a sword through the shit out of I wonder how many of them did the combo where you stab them first and then fire the musket. To take them off of your gun sword. Yeah, exactly. To take them off of your sword mm -hmm. instead of just trying to yank it out. Yeah. <laughs> Very practical. After they're already dead. You yeah, kind of a waste. Inside, so. <laughs> and the TNT's just there as they're sitting. Probably the most expensive sequence. Oh, yeah. Uh, extras running around. Yeah, that's where the budget went. <laughs> I wonder how they direct something like this. Is just having everybody go like, okay, there we Starting line's here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there. Yeah. Here's kind of where you want to go. <laughs> Munitions are going off. Blowing up the extras. <laughs> oh, crap. That was a live cannonball. Leone <laughs> takes the flag. Never seen so many men wasted so badly. 
fighting on a bridge would kind of suck. I mean, you really don't got anywhere to go except for over the bridge. <laughs> yeah, don't want to be on the front line. <laughs> Ants. Yeah, totally. Stabby ants. I have a feeling it's really gonna be a good long battle. Blondie. Huh? The money's on the other side of the river. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where? Uh, <laughs> amigo, I said the other side, and that's enough. <laughs> but while the Confederates are there, we can't get across. What would happen if somebody were to blow up that bridge? Yeah. A little bit of explanation there, but I think that it works in this case just mm -hmm. because people want to see them blow up the bridge. So yeah. it gives them a little bit of anticipation. <laughs> it doesn't need to be a surprise. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, all right. I wonder how they're going to do that. <laughs> With dynamite, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> Little bit of a Deus Ex Machina. Mm -hmm. <coughs> it's as if it fell from the sky. <laughs> Do you need to go to the washroom or anything? <laughs> I'm good right now. You, you alright? I'm fine. Yeah. Should have grabbed some water though. Grab some water. Oh, all right. Thirty-five minutes left. Thirty-five minutes left. Thirty-five minutes left. Okay. Hang in there, people. We're almost through this marathon. Getting the penultimate step. Let's see, make sure no one. Now, again, comparing this to uh, a modern crappy movie, <laughs> the obvious thing would be to to have the action head into a civil war battle because. Uh, the uh, intuitive or the this the um the instinct would be that because there's more characters on the screen and there's more things blowing up that will lead to a more exciting sequence mm. but um i think that the the rule that good the bad and the ugly kind of demonstrates really well is that you need to have an emotional core <coughs> in every sequence for it to um, have any kind of tension. Mm -hmm. So when you have a scenario where there's dozens and dozens of characters that haven't been in the story and are unimportant to what your main principles want, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have much of an emotional core. Right. And I feel like Leone understands this. So like, even though this is a very interesting kind of sequence to put in at this point in the movie, it it's really the variety of it mm -hmm. that makes it novel. It's it's that, like, we haven't really seen a scenario where um, Blondie and Tuco are... Um, they're made to look very small by this this this, uh, this staging, this right. this amount of violence around them. Um, there's, there's contrast in the rest of the movie, and mm -hmm. that's kind of why it works. Um, it's... It, one a misstep that like a modern comparison would be um, the Dark Knight with mm -hmm. uh, Heath Ledger's mm -hmm. uh, Batman movie. Mm -hmm. um, in that film, the uh, second to last sequence is kind of similar. They have uh, a boat <laughs> sequence mm -hmm. where yeah, yeah. the Joker has explosives on right. a ferry that's loaded with passengers. But because there's no 
principal characters. There's mm-hmm. no main characters on the boat. Mm-hmm. You don't care, right? Mm-hmm. Like the dramatic tension is way stronger when the Joker just has um, mm-hmm. Harvey Dent and uh, Rachel tied up to the dynamite earlier in the movie. Right. It's kind of like the pacing is backwards. Right. Like those two scenes should have been reversed. Oh, okay. Maybe that. Like it's it's a very important scene though to like to you know for the Joker to be proved wrong in his ideas about oh sure people, but, you know, but the, the way you do that is like you put the mayor on the boat and mm. um alfred or somebody mm. somebody important needs right. to be on the <laughs> boat like having that discussion you can't just have a bunch of random <clears throat> nobodies having a, a really important discussion like that mm. it just doesn't work So Blondie and Tuco are gonna end the war. <laughs> Did you ever see um, just like that? The dog who ended the war. Yeah, yeah. the Canadian movie. Yeah, yeah. Sad. Saint, the Saint Bernard. Yeah, yeah. Gets so sad. crushed in the snow fort. Yeah, it's kind of like up there with Peanut Butter Solution as being like essential Canadian movies oh, that actually, you gotta I don't watch. I know that one. And get Peanut creeped out as a kid. Which one's that? Oh, dude, you gotta. That's your homework assignment <laughs> is to watch the Peanut Butter Solution. Never even heard of it. It's a. Uh, I think it's a French-Canadian movie from the 80s. It's about a kid who goes into a haunted house and has all of the hair scared off of his body. Okay. And he feels very insecure about being bald. Right. So he asks the ghosts that scared him Uh for a solution to his baldness. Oh, okay. And they tell him about the peanut butter solution, which Uh is a combination of, like, um, spooky things like flies and worms and... (coughs) Uh Uh, clippings and stuff and Uh, peanut butter okay and they give him a very specific recipe list and they tell him you have to follow this recipe exactly and of course uh he cuts corners Mm -hmm. and he really wants a good head of hair so he puts way too much peanut butter in and he wakes up with a lustrous head of hair but it will never stop growing okay and so he ends up in like this nightmare scenario where Uh his hair is growing constantly all the way through school right and he needs to get like a his sister to cut it for him just Uh in order to be happy um and then in the third act he ends up running into a mischievous teacher from his school that realizes that his hair is also magic (laughs) so the art teacher kidnaps the kid and holds him up in a warehouse and uses them to harvest hair and make magic brushes. Okay. That's weird. <laughs> and it's a Canadian classic. Okay. Wow. Why don't we tell each other our have that one up. <laughs> Check it out. Why don't we? <laughs> we got the fuses here. And the small talk begins. Nice. Uh, we might not survive this blondie. Yeah. You go first. The name of the cemetery is. <laughs> Tuco can't help but be a little bit uh, seduced by Blondie. <laughs> he really wants to know the half of the secret, and he also really wants a friend. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now is your turn. Name on the grave is. Stanton. Should I interpret this piece of information? Stanton. Perfect timing. Are you on sure? This line. 
Yeah, sure, I'm sure. I think that uh, it, it'd be interesting to get a musician's point of view on uh, directing actors and how, like, it must be so hard to, to stage a scene where, like, the actors are charismatic and interesting. There's something about the rhythm of their dialogue that doesn't work. There's right. some, some actors that are able to have such a nice rhythm to the dialogue. It's, like, right. almost musical to hear them going back and forth. Yeah. Well, Clint Eastwood is a musician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't the bridge, uh, didn't the, the first bridge one also damage a bunch of the can cameras? Yeah, it blew up two of the cameras. Yeah. <laughs> Happy. Yeah, he happy can die camper. happy now. That fucking bridge. He's gonna drift off into heaven. Yeah. Along with all the debris. Happy man. Which is probably for the best because all that dirt and grime in his open wounds would be awful. Yeah, the, the, he's a history anyway. Yeah, exactly. I wonder. Um, I guess it wouldn't work, but it would have been funny if they were kind of carting the captain's body across the bridge and he had noticed them carrying the dynamite down there. Ah. <laughs> yes. It was yes. Like a blaze of glory. Yeah, half the job when they blew up the bridge wrong the first time. Imagine cleaning up all the fucking debris. Yeah. yeah clean up all the debris first, and then. Right. Yeah, that would have that would have sucked. It's interesting. Throughout the history of warfare. The, the main idea was like how do we make our guns bigger like it's just a, a revolver but it's yeah. a giant yeah, it's revolver making, yeah. bigger equals better <laughs> it's really clever editing there uh -huh. like just having the, the barrel of the gun going off is, is an effective way to do it it's cheap <laughs> I love he's sleeping through it his butt up by the way, I like your furry uh, mic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the windsock thing. Yeah, it's on. nice. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a funny way to do it. I figured that it was easier to just use the um, condenser mic instead of buying like a second microphone right. for everything. But yeah, this has a, I think it has six ports on it, which is pretty cool. I nice. wanted to get to a wireless lavalier mic yeah. next. Yeah. And then whoever can wear that and we can feed it all into the same channels. Mm. I'm also kind of using the podcast as like uh, to get experience working with audio. Oh yeah, so good that, idea. Like when I start working with audio in my film stuff, it'll yeah. I think that there's a whole, you know, I'm just anticipating that there's a whole other ball of wax, like trying to figure out how to master audio and oh yeah, I'm make sure it sound is. like the person, the recording is coming out of the person in that scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean, like mixing it so that it sounds like they're in the place that they are. Yeah, because I'm I'm finding like even with listening back to the podcast uh, audio, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound clean. Mm -hmm. Like we're speaking right into <clears throat> microphones with mm -hmm. like a, a good uh, lossless quality and stuff, and right. it still sounds like radio show. You right, know? it doesn't sound. I don't know. Right, I think it's gonna be interesting trying to crack that. Yeah. So we're heading into the final lap here. Yes. Um, passing all the dead bodies clint's gonna do a a bit of a um a kindness yep to a wounded soldier and then we're gonna head into the the final sequence yeah lust for gold 
probably my favorite uh, sequence in the movie. Oh yeah, very music video iconic. I think that there's there's certain um, sequences in movies that made me want to do music videos, mm-hmm. and uh, this was one of them. I, I found like this a couple of sequences in Kubrick movies like mm-hmm. 2001 and. Um, they made me see that um, in reality cinema is not uh, a 50-50 experience between visuals and music Mm -hmm. Uh, this movie kind of made me see that it's more of a 60-40 or maybe even 65-35 split (laughs) with score being Mm -hmm. the powerful part of it if you have kick-ass music Mm -hmm. the visuals i think can be kind of lacking yeah i mean when it comes to a to music videos anyway um sometimes the track is so good that you don't need to do much with the video it's still amazing right um if you take a look at something like star wars like that john williams soundtrack is so Mm -hmm. transportive yeah and so appropriate for like setting a western in space yeah um you can put it against like one of the cheesy video games and mm-hmm. as long as that John Williams score is in good quality on it mm. it immediately works and like <clears throat> transports you into Star Wars yeah and I feel like Good the Bad and the Ugly is kind of the, the same power yeah to the point where like I almost feel like Quentin Tarantino is cheating when he right. <laughs> he puts this music yeah. in his movies when he puts like, the Leone like the Marconi music yeah. in his films yeah and like of course it's dramatic yeah it's, exactly it's coming all from the music yeah exactly yeah that's one thing I've always that always moves me in films is it's usually the combination of what's happening and then the music supporting it it's um I remember the first time I first time I noticed how important music was to a movie was the opening for Batman, the, the uh, mm, Tim Burton Batman. That gets you amped. Yeah, yeah and, and, I, and that was Batman. the first time I ever really no, like noticed that there was, you know, I, I knew themes, you know, I knew the Indiana Jones theme and I knew mm-hmm. the Star Wars theme, but that was the first time I really noticed how the music supports the visuals and uh, that, that movie was pretty big for that, for me, that Danny Elfman score. Yeah, for real. Yeah. <laughs> it's a true this is that's actually interesting to think that uh, Leone was playing the soundtrack in the background yeah. of a lot of these stages so that means that he they must have composed the music first well I don't know if it was it was but he was definitely playing Marconi's music whether or not he was playing this particular yeah score. yeah exactly I have a feeling that they may have worked on the music yeah, first. May have, it, it has possible. very similar themes to the previous yes yeah. um, and I also like that approach uh, as I like try to figure out how I'm going to handle like my own yeah. uh, featured work, that's one of the ideas that I think would be interesting is to compose the soundtrack first right. and then work backwards. Right. Here we Here, go. Here's that that theme. This da, works da, as a standalone, da, 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 da. Yeah, standalone totally. piece, I think. Totally. And this is a like you were saying before. This whole section is a a film school of editing in itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also interesting to uh, what I mentioned before, how like this cemetery has been constructed to kind of look like a Roman coliseum, right? With, yeah, like, the battlefield in the center. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, when you think about it, it's like, what's that for normally? Mm-hmm. Like, why yeah, is there, why is there a center? <laughs> yeah, what would they use that for exactly? Or, yeah. or they uh, just build in? <laughs> and it's also 
lone black dog running through yeah, the yeah. sequence. <laughs> um, yeah, when I was reading up as a prep for the interview, I, I didn't really realize, too, that they're surrounded by dead men. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's nice foreshadowing. It's foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Like they're not gonna, someone's not going to make it out. Yeah, exactly. And then you have a nice metaphor, too, that you know, they've just uh, come away from the battlefield. Yeah. And uh, you're coming into this cemetery, these, these two people who are searching for, for gold. Mm. And how many of the, the people that are buried around them, their uh, lives were just as trivial. Right. Yeah, it's great. Yeah the very sparse score that we heard in the beginning of the film where you just heard the each of their themes periodically is now into this grandiose thing with the opera singer and, the, mm-hmm. and how it comes in and out yeah we'll break here let's go searches yeah yeah the spinning camera one thing I find interesting about this is that we've already established earlier that he can't actually really read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Must be <laughs> see him looking for well. a name. Yeah. to shoot kinetic stuff like this because you can really just let the actor off the chain and have them you know really dig their teeth that you don't have to worry about marks and staging or any of that right like <coughs> mm-hmm. the more kinetic and the more movement and the more improvisation that happened the more natural it's gonna look <laughs> boom reads better than you thought <laughs> I guess so. <clears throat> Unknown. Great little red herring. Yeah. Hits him with the shovel. The shovel yeah, yeah. <laughs> he throws it at him. Oh, I dig. Yeah. I dig uh, when close. you have when you have witty characters in movies. Yeah. When even in circumstances where they lie, it's only half a lie. Right. It's like kind of a they're just being misleading. Yeah, yeah totally. Exactly. Oh yeah, there. Yeah, it's pretty close. <laughs> I mean, just kind of tosses a shovel at him. 
Howdy. It'll be a lot easier with that. <clears throat> it's interesting that he he lets him play through the um, the scenario that there's actually gold in that yeah. grave. <laughs> Show that he's still an asshole. Tupo's got a nice little velvet jacket. Yeah. <clears throat> oh. Uh, and then this is one. Also, he almost hits him. Like, almost hits him in the head. <laughs> little organ music. Two can take a lot quicker than one. Dig. Has uh, angel eyes? Oh yeah, his his Spaniard beard's coming in a little on his chin now. <laughs> He's been out on the range a few days. <laughs> makes him be makes him a little bit more stereotypical, devilish. If you shoot me, you won't see a cent of that money. Why? I'll tell you what. There's nothing in there. It's an awesome-looking skeleton. Yeah. No teeth. Somebody was saying to me the other day, like, how come all of the ancient people had such perfect teeth? Mm -hmm. I'm like, what are you talking about? They they would have had just as many problems as modern people. If not more, yeah. like, no, have you ever seen a skull? They all have perfect teeth. Every <laughs> skull I've ever seen has perfect teeth. And you're like, Oh, you mean like cartoons? <laughs> I don't know. How many skulls? Have you also, seen? sounds like your friend is Tommy Weasel. <laughs> like, no, no, Jesse. All the skulls oh, have, perfect, have perfect teeth. Ah. Uh. Oh hi. He made a public appearance in Toronto and he appeared mm -hmm. on stage and he was going on about how he was wearing two belts. <laughs> and look at me! This this <laughs> is new fashion, two belts. <laughs> Weirdo. Doubled up. I can't wait. Uh, did you read the, the book uh, on the experience of making that film that Greg Satoru? No, Greg uh, Satoru, whatever his name is, the like the you know the other guy in the film, the, his friend in the film. They were they're friends in real life, and he wrote a, a book about the making of it, and also kind of about how he met Tommy Wiseau. It's amazing, hmm. and they're making a movie of it, and James Franco is going to play Tommy Wiseau. Oh, yeah. it's, it's such a funny story to tell. Oh. and the watching the greatest sequence ever and talking about the worst movie of all time. Yeah, <laughs> ironic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah, here we are. One of the best sequences of all time. Yeah, here's where it's being played on the guitar, that theme that was playing on piano. Oh, yeah. And I think that it was really effective for me to, to watch these movies backwards mm -hmm. because the, the one lame thing that you realize when you watch two and one after this is that they kind of do this, this standoff shootout thing right. in both of the movies yeah and you kind of go like oh it's less special now right but this is definitely the the ultimate one my fit i i think my favorite one i really love the one in uh, a fistful of dollars where uh, um 
he comes back from prison and he's facing off against a guy who I guess got him into prison and, mm-hmm. and he's uses the, his pocket watch for the first time you know and the theme's playing on the pocket watch and it just and then they, they draw when the theme ends on the pocket watch yeah that's such a few a, dollars more yeah it's a, mm-hmm. yeah it's such a brilliant brilliant edited and, and mm-hmm. heat the music for it oh great. yeah it's wicked I mean, this is great too it's this, wicked this, but I mean like I had never seen Reservoir Dogs has a similar kind of thing where they're all pointing guns yeah, at one yeah. another and but Taking home City of Fire. I just yeah. thought it was such an interesting scenario to. Um, it's fucking simple. Like, yeah, totally. The, there's, there's nothing. There, there are three guys standing. Yeah, it's all and editing they, and uh, music. In the desert. Um, yeah, it's all editing and music. That's what makes it. It builds attention so well. And the lack of music. Which the Coen brothers would pick up on mm-hmm. later on, No Country. Mm-hmm. Love it. Not satisfied to go there, you know, like it's, it's going to build more. <laughs> Who do you trust? <laughs> The camera gets closer. It said on the Wikipedia page that Clint Eastwood actually named uh, Angel Eyes, Angel Eyes. Mm-hmm. Just because he thought that the Van Cleef or whatever yeah. had, uh, had that kind of look to him. Right. And he also thought that it uh, insinuated that he had excellent aim. Right. Which he does. Yeah. great example of high stakes in that it's not just about the money anymore it's mm-hmm. like <laughs> kids had a lot yeah you get a reward and you get to live it never crosses their mind to split it three ways <laughs> shows you how bad of a like a bandit i would have been <laughs> can we just split oh, three ways his finger. that's interesting is he oh like the tip of his finger yeah up the eyes fast edits and again it sounds dumb to to reiterate but just the fact that like all of the little decisions and all the small adventures were leading to the logical point where Tuco and and, uh, and Blondie, of course, are going to collaborate. Right, exactly. It's like old times. <clears throat> and this is a throw a callback to the previous movie too, where Angel Eyes kept shooting Clint's hat 
further and further down the street. A little bit of comic relief. <clears throat> you pig! You want to get me killed? When'd you unload it? Last night. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, <laughs> and those who dig. <laughs> you dig. Here. There's no name on it. There's no name here either. <laughs> Fucker. <laughs> See, that's what Bill Carson told me. Even when he loses, he wins. Yeah. I don't know what you'd call this. I guess it's a denouement, kind of. Mm -hmm. I still get the feeling that we still need to resolve the relationship between yeah. these two, so there's got to be one more beat. Yeah. Because they still can't really trust each other. I also dig it. Um, there's certain movies that uh, they avoid the trap of um, saga films that try to wrap everything up too neatly. Right. There's something amazing about movies that have a beat at the end that makes you feel like the adventure keeps going on right. outside of the scope of the movie. Right. And there's something about Blondie leaving Tuco hang him there and yeah. shooting him down again. That's both... A perfect throwback to the beginning of the movie uh -huh. that also kind of insinuates that there might be more adventures in the future. Mm -hmm. yeah, both characters are going to... You're joking, Blondie. Yeah. Wouldn't, you wouldn't play a joke on me like that. It's no joke. It's a rope, Tuco. Mm -hmm. I want you to stand up there and put your head in that noose. He's very confused. <laughs> He's like, this has got to be a joke. <laughs> I thought we were pals. But then again, I have tried to kill him a bunch of times. <laughs> but then again, I tried to kill all my friends. <laughs> That's what I do. It's my quirky thing. Those big ass rings. I want to know what the story, story is behind with those big ass rings. In a way, Clint Eastwood was a lot like his character in the movie. He got six figures out of the deal. Mm. New Ferrari. Yeah. And percentage of the, the gross or something. Seems just like old times. 
me. Seems like he's being a bit harsh, but at the, at the <clears throat> same time, it's a completely necessary thing. Mm-hmm. He knows that uh, he needs to get a lead on Tuco because yeah, exactly. he's unpredictable. He's a bit of a scoundrel. Totally. He knows what to do. Yeah. I mean, he he leaves him his money. It also seems like he can't carry any more gold on that horse anyway. (laughs) (laughs) This is another good example of um, keeping the the conflict interpersonal and really specific and really focused on the, the main characters. And I mean, at this point in the movie, the movie's almost over. Um, you've got the the hero escaping with the gold. You could have a cut where like he falls off the the cross and breaks his neck. Yeah. And that's the end of it. Yeah. Um, probably wouldn't be satisfying, but like it's uh, in an era where people are doing down endings. Yeah. In movies, it's kind of an artsy thing to do. Mm-hmm. He hangs on just enough. For the audience to start going like, oh, throw Tuco a bone. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He's had a rough life. Maybe he just needs $50,000. <laughs> He'll straighten out. It's also funny in uh, it's such a what two little brothers would do. Like, the, the dad drives off and leaves right. the, the kid on the side of the road. He's like, no, <laughs> don't leave me. <laughs> don't leave me hanging. <laughs> and the drums come back in. I wonder if anybody in the world can make a shot like that. <clears throat> I doubt it with those pretty good aim. school guns. They were terrible. <gasps> oh. Wow. What? No time for Dent. <laughs> Relive history. <laughs> There's something those they must have used um some sort of fancy horses. In this movie, they have a really cool silhouette, mm-hmm. and you know, just to shit talk the '50s westerns again. Even the horses looked kind of stupid in the '50s movies. <laughs> they seem to be some sort of like special stallions. They've got uh-huh. really long manes and shiny. They got a really interesting silhouette when they they're running in the distance. Yep, the end. Anyways, you made it through three hours of an extended cut commentary. And, yeah, uh, that's that's a good place to be. You're a good fan <laughs> if you're able to watch that whole movie with start to finish with us reading uh, Wikipedia facts. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to know more, or if you want to 
reiterate everything that we've gone over. <laughs> just read the one page of Wikipedia because that's what's available. And that's what pe- how people research nowadays. They just kind of gloss over whatever's on Wikipedia, and that becomes the public domain knowledge. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Good night. Yeah! <laughs> Jessica's going to be so relieved that we're finished. <laughs> no. Quit that racket.